It's 625 tons. 625 tons is worth 30... Oh, God. Three... Three trillion dollars. God. Three trillion dollars. In, 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 in... In 1496 money. So what is three trillion dollars now? <laughs> in for, in, well, in, in 1496 money, it's probably worth like I don't know six bugs and a beetle. Like, I don't know. You know. I'll give <laughs> no, you a blue bead for it. <laughs> Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. Hello. And Ryan. Hey, it worked. Sorry, Discord didn't pick it up, but God, my finger hurts. <laughs> what What did you just open? Um, Like a cast? Like seltzer, but like, God, that thing looks like super good. Look at my finger. And you said you're going to be able to handle these nursing shifts <laughs> in COVID-riddled Tallahassee. <laughs> But you can't open up Bud Light Seltzer. Yeah, that's one of the questions they ask the nurses, by the way. I just want you to know that you come in, they're like, hey, if you had to open a Bud Light Seltzer, would you put up? And they're like, yeah. Let's say say your patient has ordered a Bud Light Seltzer. Could you open up that side without looking like a pussy? Let's say one of your... In an emergency, how fast? You know, we got these patients lined up. They need their Bud Light Seltzers. You got to be cracking these packs in record time. Are your fingers going to freeze up? Huh? You going to you going to start whining? My feet hurts. Look, Is that what we're going to hear? The only way we can deliver the ivermectin without them shitting themselves <laughs> is to put it in Bud Light seltzer, all right? That turns that's out the real trick. Turns out that's the entry medium. You got to put it in there. It floats a little bit until you oh, shake it up God. so you don't spill it anywhere. But oh my, my you combine, God. You combine hydrochloroquine, you combine it with, with ivermectin. But listen, and it, also also with the Bud White seltzer. What I'm asking, the UV light up your ass. What I'm asking is, <laughs> is your index finger a bitch? <laughs> kind of right now. Feels like a little bit of one. When lie. I first wake up in the morning, I have that. Uh, I have to split. Sometimes I have to refill my medicines because I, you know, I have the days of the week thing sitting here right. for my meds and my vitamins, and. Uh, I'm at that age now, so uh, I go and I split it up, because I'm not taking a whole Klonopin every day, so I cut it up, and sometimes it fucking hurts to do it, because I don't use a pill thing, they're scored, oh, get, oh, they're scored, no, I got a pill thing, That that's for Bro, unscored shit. Bro, you got shit. your little, it's a little quick, little pop. No, I'm, I'm not a baby, dude, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I know, bitch. <laughs> oh my god. Steve says he's no bitch, but then he complains about how his fingers sometimes hurt when he's breaking his pills. Goddamn <laughs> <My> fingies. <laughs> oh man, dude, I tell you what, speaking of uh, hurty fingies, what are we talking speaking about of, this week? He's gonna break in things. This this week we're going to be talking about the city of Great Zimbabwe. Africa right. liberates Zimbabwe. See, I thought I was going to be the first person to do a really shitty impersonation. <laughs> I love that, dude. Uh, that's the um, the uh, Sublime cover of Zimbabwe, which is fantastic. Is it? Yeah. Well, you can't tell from my voice. I mean, I can sing, but <laughs> I'm not singing right now. Uh, yeah, no... Uh, that's a good song. I used to roll down the street listening to it until one day I realized it was a little on the nose, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah. So, uh, Zimbabwe, the, the name itself, it, it's um, it's a shonen name for the, the ruins of the city. Shonen? Uh, like Japanese teenagers? 
No, show not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Turns out uh, the country of Zimbabwe is named by Japanese anime consumers <laughs> in the 13, the majority, 13 to 16 year olds in Japan. A bunch of fucking weebs. Mm-hmm. The, the majority ethnic group within Zimbabwe is the Shonen people. They comprise about 70% of the population. The Shonen uh, people? <laughs> Shona people. <laughs> oh, there's a Shonen Jump. That was like an anime, wasn't it? Yeah, that's a manga uh, like uh, compilation. That comes yeah, out Shonen. Shonen means like boy in, yeah. in Japanese. It's actually, uh, by the way, if you if you want to read manga, it's it's the best app ever made. Two dollars on your phone a month. Two dollars gets you all their manga digitally on your phone. It's fucking great. Not not all of it, but like most of it. It's there's, it's pretty there's much stuff everything that isn't on there. Yeah, yeah. I think they're just slow, and their their reader is not the best one. But for two bucks a month, you know, you could be in Zimbabwe reading manga right now. Re- okay, all right. Um, so <laughs> could I be so in Great Zimbabwe though? You could as well. I don't know how good the uh, the internet connection is going to be there. You're going to have to download those chapters before you read them you know when you take them out to great zimbabwe yeah you want to go to zimbabwe download the media and then go to great zimbabwe yeah because i think that i heard they had spectrum over there spectrum yes <laughs> that is that's what they have um yeah so the you the call Zim- but the tech support for zimbabwe uh, spectrum is in ghana no, so. no 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 <laughs> zimbabwe's tech support is located in like fucking houston okay houston like, it's in it's in tennessee say what's your name <laughs> Click clack what? <laughs> Some racist shithead. Uh, Tennessee is where all the racists in Florida move to because Florida has become too diverse for them. Oh my god! It is. I have heard this story told from more moderate family members of people I know. So, um, so no. the the name Zimbabwe was first recorded <laughs> in lost all our Tennessee listeners. <laughs> By uh, by a um, by a Portuguese captain um, at the garrison of Sofala, which is in Mozambique, um, named uh, Vicente um, Peado. Um, Peado noted, uh, "quote unquote, the natives of the country call these edifices uh, Simbaoe, um, which, according to their language, signifies court." Nice. So Vincent Vincent uh, Peyote, right? <laughs> Pejado. Okay. <laughs> it has a G, but uh, I, I believe in Portuguese a G is an H sound. The uh, the the theories on on how the name bon, entomology. Well, the 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 theory with the entomology of the name there there are two sort of main ideas of how it came about. Um, the first uh, the first one of these proposes um, that's derived from uh, Zimba za uh, Mabwe. Which translates from a, a dialect uh, of the Shona, the the Karanga dialect, as large houses of stone, because um, Zimba means um, is the plural of Imba, meaning house, and Mabwe is the plural of Bwe, which means stone. I thought Zimba was the singular form of Zumba. I thought <laughs> one Zoom. <laughs> um, you have Zoom and Zumba. If you do Zumba by yourself in your house during COVID, you're Zimbaing. Right. You're zooming, and you can also do it with Microsoft Zoom. <laughs> what? Um, what the fuck? Microsoft <laughs> Zoom. Uh. They don't own it yet, but they oh, will. I they did. No. Oh, they did. 
<laughs> Shit, the both y'all like, no. <laughs> Nailed too much already, no. Now I gotta sell my stock, because people know I, I think... have insider information about the upcoming purchase. <laughs> I think I think Zoom is uh, a Chinese-owned company, so it's probably it is. not gonna get bought out. Yeah, oh, I'm pretty sure it's Chinese. Um, it's, it, it is Chinese, because when it first came out, when the encryption wasn't working right, there was a big to-do in the uh, tech community about where it was hosted and stuff like that, so... Um, and, and the second sort of uh, entomological theory for the name Zimbabwe is from the, um, we the Zazuru the dialect of the Shona, um, which is uh, Zimbabwe, which means venerated houses. Okay. Um, and, and usually you only you only apply um, this uh, this term of houses um, or to to chiefs. Okay. Meaning that it was a, a place of like uh, leadership or, or owned by a ruler, right? So, yeah, well, that's um, pretty so, standard for the for the term house. So Zimbabwe is basically a stone house of a ruler. Yeah, and when they say house, they literally mean like house house. They're not like talking a home. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're not talking about a family like Game of Thrones or like Chief, Star Trek. Chief you know? Stonehouse. That sounds house like house of Moog. <laughs> Chief Stonehouse sounds like a like a wrestler from the seventies. You know, right? Yeah. Um. Today, the majority of scholars believe that um, that the city was founded by members of what was called the uh, Gokamir culture, um, who are the ancestors of the modern Shona in Zimbabwe. Okay. Um, it, it's believed that Great Zimbabwe was settled by the 4th century AD, um, and that between the 4th and 7th centuries, um, that communities of the, the Gokamir and Ziwa cultures uh, farmed the valley, um, mined and worked iron ore that was found there, um, but they had built no stone structures until um, the founding of Great Zimbabwe. Um, you said, what what age are we talking about that this this city was around? That you said you said the fourth century. Yes, um, it, it's generally believed to have lasted from around the fourth century to the fourteenth century. Great Zimbabwe. So, let me ask you something because I'm looking at pictures, and this I mean you can still see like actual you know structures that were there, right? Do you think yeah. anything that we have built is going to, like us recently as a people, is going to last yes. 17 centuries? Yes. You think so? I, I think I'm so. Sure, I'm sure some things will. Um, I feel like construction has gone down because the last like two or three apartments I've lived in so that's actually, have been like, painted Frosted so, Flakes boxes. So that's actually like, a <laughs> localized phenomenon, and that building has actually gotten better over time as far as stability, but it's all about what area you're in what socioeconomic group you belong to and what you're willing to pay for. So, like, yeah. there's a lot of factors that come into play. Like, yeah, they built old log cabins with whole pieces of trees, you know what I mean? Multiple trees got cut up into that log cabin. But I guess if, what I'm saying but is if walk a storm, through your neighborhood but what, and see, if, walk through your neighborhood and do you think that everything, you, like the houses and stuff, would stand? It's like, you know, even just 10 centuries from now. Again, it depends where you're at. Like, and I think it really depends where you're at. It's it's also it's also in an arid region, so it survived a lot longer. Um, okay, you can see a lot more of these sort of like stone structures in areas that are that are more arid and less populated. Yeah, because um, a lot of times what would happen with like Roman and Greek ruins was that locals would just take stones from them. And the same within China, right? Um, and a lot of times too, like a lot of the building for most of the structures in, for instance, Asia were made out of wood. So when you visit a temple and it says like, well, this temple's been around since like the fifth century or whenever it's burned like 
Well, it's it's been replaced. Like not not that it was destroyed, like it was burned or anything like it was that. It's renovated, but it's it's regularly renovated because it's made out of wood. It doesn't last forever. Right. Um, well, in uh, Japan, but, that's a big thing too. They they built yeah, to that in the old, like especially in Shinto, which is which is which is based on like Chinese sort of yeah yeah standards. No, I was gonna um, say like that whole argument about like like people bring that up about like cars and stuff like that. Ah, yeah, they don't build them like they used to. I'm like, thank fucking. I mean, fucking, they literally don't. But thank fucking now. God, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're literally safer. Well, hey, we realized that Uncle Charlie, <laughs> Uncle Charlie's been driving around a meat missile for the last uh, 20, 30 years. He's killed hundreds. Killed hundreds. <laughs> well, what's also the fact too that it's like 1990, like like Chrysler. Like, if it's still running, like, is it still even technically the original car? Because you have that chip of Theseus type situation. <laughs> yes, where, you do. Where every part of it has been gradually replaced <laughs> over three decades. I think so the frame might be the, the same. the original vehicle. The <laughs> frame is the same. Yes, yes, but the question of the ship of Theseus is, if everything else but the frame has been replaced, is it still the ship of motherfucking Theseus? Yes. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes. It's not the same you ship. Have, you still have an original part. I'm just taking the opposite tack, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, a lot of these uh, Gokamir and Ziwa um, settlements within the valley, they're, they're some of the earliest Iron Age settlements that, that are identified um, by archaeological diggings there. That's super um, old. It, it's believed that the, the stone buildings at Great Zimbabwe, that they started constructing them in the 11th century, and they kept adding on and building more over a span of like 300 years. Um, the, the ruins at Great Zimbabwe are also the oldest and largest structures located in Southern Africa, meaning, um, Sub-Saharan Africa, um, and also, uh, Southern Africa, because the second oldest is, um, Mpunga, uh, Mpungaboy in, um, South Africa, um, which was a, a kingdom of... Mfungo. I love Mfungo. Which, which existed from, uh, 1075... To 1220 AD, um, and it was a medieval state there that is that is considered to be um, sort of a predecessor of Great Zimbabwe. Um, it was sort of settled between a confluence of the Shashe and Limpopo rivers um, to the south of there, because um, modern day Zimbabwe is is north of um, South Africa. Right. I was looking at that because I had to reorient myself with my geography. Dude, Zimbabwe is like the size of texas it's fucking enormous yeah africa africa is a lot bigger than a lot of people think due to map projections africa can fit every other continent in in it it, yeah because of mercator protection projection um we don't really know uh what the name is but it's commonly believed that it's derived from either the uh tg kalinga or uh uh dialects meaning hill of jackals right um, and so the the theory is is that it would eventually culminate from that kingdom into the forming of the kingdom of Zimbabwe in the 13th century um, due to the amount of gold that's located around Great Zimbabwe um, and the trade routes that would go to Rapta and Kiswani on the African East Coast. Um, the kingdom of, of Mpungwe, um lasted for about 80 years. Um, and it's and at its height, the capital's population was probably around five thousand people. I may be getting way ahead of um, myself here. Um, That's all right. 
at so the point that Great Zimbabwe no longer existed, did that come before the uh, the Dutch basically uh, just ripping through Africa? Well, the the Dutch don't really get into the area that is modern day Zimbabwe. It is more English settlers who come after Cecil Rhodes starts his sort of company there. Ah, okay. uh, Cecil Rhodes. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've covered yeah. Cecil Rhodes previously in other episodes of the Trilateral the, uh, Trika. The the Boers the Boers are mainly around um, southern, uh, like sort of like the tip of South Africa. Um, Cape Town is predominantly, I believe, a, a Boer region. I, mean, um, I guess what I'm asking is, did areas. Great Zimbabwe was it exi- Did it exist as a city when the English then? were around and colonizing Africa, or had it already gone? It had had already gone by that point, which we'll talk about. Okay. Um, Because when the Portuguese are talking about it, they're mostly getting a lot of, like, stories from traders. um, And and a lot of them don't really know what the story is, because a lot of the traders they're talking to are are referred to as Moors, meaning that they're they're sort of Arab or Muslim traders who came down from North Africa and um, Saudi Arabia. um, Is that a slur? uh, Moore is just kind of an antiquated um, sort of term from people from North Africa, because okay. the Moors were a, a group within uh, North Africa who had conquered Spain, and because that was like really the only Muslim group that Europeans had sort of encountered uh, for a long time, they, they just referred to them as Moors. I always thought that they were that, that was just their way to refer to somebody with darker skin or like a black person was a Moor. But well, not like necessarily like in a slur way, like you know, had, had like like the United States is capitalized on, but just kind of like a hey, this is how we say it instead of being like hey, well, that black guy, like that. More. Well, it's like a North African, like because you're you're not getting a lot of like people of color in Europe during that time period. Right. right. So and like when the only people of color you see are Moors, um, you 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 tend to like lump everybody in that category. A, a similar thing would kind of happen, for instance, in Japan where the main group that the Japanese would interface with for, for centuries was the Dutch. So they thought every white person they met was, like, Dutch and got really confused when they didn't know how to speak Dutch. Uh, Steve, uh, okay. when you say the Moors, are you talking about the Moors science guys? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like how when I went over to Europe last time, uh, everybody asked me where I kept my gun on me because I'm American. And I'm like, um... Fuck you, dude. <laughs> my favorite story about guns. I don't think I've told this on the podcast before. Is my brother was in Ireland, and uh, he was driving around in a in a cab, uh, and uh, he said, uh, "I like you Americans, but I don't like you. I don't like your America." And my brother's like, well, "What's wrong with America?" And he's like, "Well, for number one, you work too much, and number two, too many guns." That's all he had to say about America. He's not America. wrong. He's not wrong. That's like, not all wrong. he had to, dude. As a we, as a gun owner, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> there are not way wrong. too I many will, guns. I will tell you way this, too like, many. We, we we work more than the Chinese. Like we like, are people, insane. People, On average, we work way yeah. more than the Chinese. Like, Even like, the like slave people, labor shit. Like, I think like we're all only the, eclipsed by Japan. No, yeah. no, it's it's a similar culture in in China, but it, it's kind of the fact that like in Asia. Like, the hours worked, like, you're not actually working for most of the hours, and when you're putting in overtime, it's mainly because you can't leave before the boss leaves. Yeah, there's, like, oh, a... Oh, fuck! Well, so, like, yeah, in, in terms of... A lot of, of hierarchy. Like, they, they work more hours, like, on paper, but productivity-wise, like, it's not as much. They can't leave until the boss leaves? Yeah, it's, yeah there's in, a lot Japan, of that, like, like, stuff. A, it, 
it's it's a part of the culture. Like you, yeah. Salary men sleep at their desk. They're well known for just basically fi- or sleep in like the train and then go home and get two extra hours of sleep and after they I mean, eat. And yeah. are they it's not a good life? To sit there and sleep. Yeah. Uh, okay. They, they mean, are, but the the phenomenon of the salary man is not as it's uh, not, ubiquitous as it once was. Right. Okay. It was more of like a I think like a nineties, eighties, two thousand, like was, early yeah, two thousand. Like maybe it was like an eighties and nineties thing, and after the bubble burst. Um, the, the Japanese economy when it when it sort of went into decline. Have you seen um, the those Shibuya? Type of jobs disappeared. Have you seen the Shibuya intersection recently? It's fucking. Well, it's the one that's really popular with like there's mass like yeah, herds of I've people. Been there. That's the idea right now. Like if you watch, there's live streams of it, and there's just nobody there because of COVID. It's fucking nuts. Nuts. Um. Nuts. <laughs> so also, the- uh, speaking though, real quick did you guys see speaking of covid that the uh bofa variant is now striking hey ryan what's bofa <gasps> what well, i don't know what's up with you <laughs> oh my god <laughs> go to hell i just i just think of that watchman edit where have you like- seen the ligma variant yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's like, who's Steve Jobs? And he's amazing. So the largest um, sort of uh, ruin within uh, Great Zimbabwe is referred to as the Great Enclosure, um, which has walls as high as 36 feet. Um, and it extends uh, approximately um, 820 feet. Really? Um, which makes it the largest ancient structure south of the Sahara Desert. Um, a a um, an archaeologist, David Beach, um, he Wait, posits. How I'm sorry, real quick. How high did you say it was? Uh, thirty six feet. Thirty six feet high. So that's almost four stories. Uh, that's fine. I just want to make sure because the Green Monster in Fenway it's thirty seven feet two inches. So. Can't be higher than the can't be higher than the monster. Can't be higher than the fucking monster and over there in left field. Um, so uh, Beach states that he believes that the the kingdom of, of Zimbabwe uh, flourished from around uh, twelve hundred to fifteen hundred. Um, although um, although it seems to be that it probably um, that the state itself probably uh, collapsed or met its end um, somewhat earlier than that, um, based on descriptions. Um, from a, a Portuguese explorer in the 1500s named uh, uh, Joao uh, de Barros. Joao. Joao? Okay. <laughs> I know a Joao. Um, so, Which, oh, Steve, you gotta roll your you gotta roll your R's though, dog. You gotta be like Joao de Barros. Dude, I, t- I tell you what, man. You gotta make it sound good. <sighs> that is so hard in the Italian. They're just like they'll just throw R's like right after vowel sounds that had R's before them, and you'll just be like, "What the fuck? How am I supposed to roll my R after not rolling it that quickly?" My brother's like, "Well, you just kind of try your best, <laughs> as best you can." Uh, the best um, piece of advice I ever got uh, from my old friends that were Spanish when I was trying to learn Spanish was, "Don't try to learn every single or when you're listening, trying to learn like listening." Don't try to listen to every single word. Just try to get the gist of what is being said. No, nah, you're not wrong. Just lose your mind trying to learn every single word because of the speed at which uh, Spanish-speaking people will speak at. Well, we all speak fast. 
Spanish Spanish people do not Spanish people do not speak speaker do not speak faster rather than uh, than American English speaking people. It just sounds. Have faster. you met anybody that talks like this, man? Just, they don't talk I, too quick. They like to I, go slow. I, I worked with a guy in China who is from North Carolina, and he spoke slow like that with like a southern drawl. Yeah, but that's he a. He said like, he's like everybody loves me because I already speak slow. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but I think like that's not a it's not a Spanish thing. Like I used to think that too, but even with like Italian, I I started taking some German at one point and it's just, they speak so fucking fast conversationally. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I just use yeah. Spanish because like, that's what I was yeah. trying to learn at the yeah. time. Yeah. They were like, everybody's going to speak it way too fast. Don't even bother telling them to slow down. Just try to catch the key words that they're saying. It kind of, the, you know, do they roll their R's in uh, Zimbabwe? Do they roll? What, what language do they speak in Zimbabwe? They, um, Zimbabwe. it depends on the group. I don't, I don't know how Shona is. Um, well, they Shona and speak Japanese. I, I know the uh, I know the I other you. group, uh, uh, the Nobeli, um They they their language is based on um, it, it's derived from sort of the same language that the Zulus is based on. Okay. So it is kind of like a quickie like, oh, okay. language. Okay, like a Swahili um, kind of thing. Well, no, it, it's it's a southern language group as opposed to an eastern language yep, no, group. No, he said Zulu, not Swahili. Mm. Steve, come on, try to keep up. My bad, dude. My bad. Um, <laughs> you get so your regions mixed up. I'm, ter- I, I'm <laughs> terrible with African history. Like, I just, I, I noped out after high school history and only started getting into it in, like, the last, like, six or seven years. So well, that was, super well, that was one of the problems with Black Panther. Well, I, I guess because because um, um, Wakanda is located in East Africa, and that they they all speak, um, I believe they speak Kosa, which is a South African um, dialect. It, it's a it's a language of the Kosa people, mm-hmm. or a major ethnic group in South Africa. Mm. Um, but but being in East Africa, they should probably speak um, Swahili or, or some other East African um, dialect. Yeah, I, I guess am it, I guess with your knowledge of African dialects, Steve, yeah, I am. I, I, I am ne- listen, pretty I interesting. Know that I, I, Listen, you you are a very intelligent individual. I want to compliment you. You are. I'm very <laughs> impressed, man. If you said, Ryan, tell me about Swahili, I'd be like, um, from Africa somewhere. But you're like, yeah, no, Swahili's in the eastern, the Zulu's more of a southern. Like, that. I'm... <laughs> excellent, um, excellent, excellent. So, uh, a lot of the growth <laughs> of um, the Kingdom of Zimbabwe was linked to the decline of uh, Mpunga Boy in um, South Africa. Um, around 1300, um, due to like um, climate change, um, and also the fact that um, Great Zimbabwe was more uh, gold rich than that area. Hood rich? What? Gold rich. They <laughs> <laughs> were hood rich. <laughs> it's like, wow, Steve. Okay, we take back everything I just said. You just said a country was hood rich. <laughs> uh, down south, hood baby. <laughs> So, Great Zimbabwe is the first instance of a quote-unquote trap house. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. I love it. I love it. <laughs> the, the original Dirty South, South Africa. <laughs> a dirty, uh, dirty. Cadillac groove. Great, 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 Zim, great Zimbabwe was the Atlanta of its era. <laughs> That's um, awesome. So uh, we don't like we don't have an exact idea of how many people live there, but it's generally believed that around eighteen thousand people lived in Great Zimbabwe at its peak. 
That's okay. so small of a number for that size um, of a... Well, but remember actually, the population. Just like remember, the world population. Great, great, great Zimbabwe is sort of gone by the end of the 14th century. Um, in the 1500s... Yeah, but that's a thousand years. They existed for a millennia. Yeah, but in 1500, London had about 50,000 people. So is that more of a life expectancy number? Well, no, it's just generally going it's a by world population the, number. The, but it has dwelling, it has to take into account life expectancy at some well, level. Well, what it's well, what it's based on is is that at one point they're saying there were eighteen thousand people who lived there, regardless of when they lived and died, um, and that those eighteen thousand people who lived there. Um, this is mainly based on the archaeological record. Okay. Um, okay. Going through the amount of dwellings there, the amount of items, like just going through that, a rough estimate of how many people live there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were to go to 1500, um, which in London there were 50,000 people living in London in 1500. Right. That's amazing because if you just just putting it in perspective, I'll tell you, you what, that's like a lot 50, of teeth. Thousand students. That's a lot of teeth. Nah, you have <laughs> 50,000 students. Yeah, that is kind of crazy. Just. Again, perspective. I just think it's interesting. I, I this one like anthrop. I guess it would be. I, I bet, bet, bet. I guess it would be anthropological to get into like life expectancy versus population numbers over time. What year do you think, Steve, that it like kind of exploded? Modern um, modern I, medicine. I believe it's. I believe it's generally considered to have peaked around the uh, like uh, thirteen hundred, around the beginning of the fourteenth um, century. Because there's what four four trillion people in the world? Am I wrong? Eight eight trillion? I, I there's th- there's about there's close to eight billion. People. Yeah, billion, eight billion, right? Billion. Yeah, yeah it's that, because of a bad religion song. Ten in twenty ten, they came okay. out a long time ago. Okay, and, yeah, okay, all right, fair. I'll give you that one. Yeah, but but a lot of the the explosion of world population comes from things like the Green Revolution, advances in medicine, like. The, the Earth's population was, was much lower for a long time, but as advances in medicine came up, um, things like that. You need yeah, a, industrial revolution. You need, you need a cough drop? That's an advance in medicine. <laughs> yeah. When Halls came invented, came around, Look, boom, instant listen, I just, I've already got done saying this last week. I'm not going to repeat myself, by the way. The Trilateral Troika is a Sucrets podcast. <laughs> 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 our podcast, our podcast only supports cough drops that come in a bougie ass tin. I swear to fucking Christ, if you hand me a box of Ludens and you tell me that they're cough drops, I will punch you in the throat. <laughs> I will knock them out of your hand and I will start throwing. Um, so the the ruins themselves um, they span about oh, um, eighteen hundred acres. Eighteen hundred um, acres. Yeah, Steve, I have seventeen hundred. I mean, that's not. <laughs> if you had, if you had seventeen hundred acres in Florida, Steve, you you wouldn't have any problems. Well, you'd also probably be the Church of Mormon. I'd be but... calling the I'd be calling the game warden a lot because people are hunting on my my fucking land. <laughs> um. So wait, 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 how many acres did you say it was? Eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred. Okay, I had to look it up just because I'm here, and UF, with 50,000 students, encompasses 2,000 acres. So, Great Zimbabwe, people had, I'm not going to say that they owned land, but they at least had space, if they only had 18,000, you know, it's a peak population. But isn't that what land really is, Ryan, without getting into a whole philosophical thing? It's just space that you kind of rent. You kind of rent it for a little while, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So they had space, is what I'm saying. 
Yeah, um, mostly for for subsistence farming and things like that. Um, ah, yeah, yeah, I forgot. They don't have Publix and shit. So in in 1531... (laughs) um, (laughs) They gotta grow crops. I'm sorry, I forgot. They can't go... You're telling me... You're telling... You're gonna tell... Sit here and fucking tell me that the word BOGO is not from Zimbabwe? (laughs) (laughs) You're gonna tell me that they didn't know about fucking Wacky Wednesdays at Wegmans? (laughs) Wacky Wednesdays at Wegmans? Man, the decline of Wegmans, I must, I've been missing out. <laughs> or Super Saturdays at Stop and Shop? You're going to tell me. Th- you're going to tell me. You- <laughs> I, either went, um, I either went to ShopRite or Marazzo's when I was in the Jersey. <laughs> you're going to tell me they didn't have Freaky Fridays at Food Lion. Freaky Fridays at Food Lion? <laughs> Are these like places you go to have weird sex? Like, what is that? Freaky Fridays <laughs> at Food Lion. <laughs> That's where you you change bodies with someone. <laughs> I'm not Ryan anymore. I'm Phil. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So, um, our friend, uh, Vincent, uh, Vincente, uh, Teato, um, Vincent Valentine. He, he he described the ruins as thus uh, as thus. Um, I <laughs> dude, I on. just heard you say he describes the ruins as sus. <laughs> As ruins are sus. <laughs> on it now. Ruins are sus. <laughs> Fucking um, ruins are sus. Which that that'll come up later. But, um, <laughs> My favorite so, thing on the podcast is when we make a joke, and, and Steve's like, "Oh, we'll we'll get to that." He's like, "Oh, let me tell you how Great Zimbabwe does actually tie into Among Us." We're, we're just wait. We're gonna get to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Uh, Peato said, "Among the gold mines of the inland plains between." The Limpopo and Zambezi rivers, there is a fortress built of stones of marvelous size, and there appears to be no mortar joining them. This edifice is almost surrounded by hills, upon which are others resembling it in the fashioning of stone in the absence of mortar, and one of them is a tower more than 12 fathoms, um, which is about the equivalent of 22 meters high. The natives of the country call these edifices uh, Simboe, um, which, according to their language, signifies court. Hmm. Um, of the ruins, they're, they're sort of divided up into three um, architectural groups, which are the hill complex, the valley complex, and the great enclosure. Um, the hill complex is the oldest, um, and it's believed it was occupied from the 9th to the 13th centuries. Um, the great enclosure was occupied from the 13th to the 15th centuries, um, and the valley complex from the 14th to the 16th centuries. Um, hmm. So within the hill complex, um, uh, notable areas are the eastern enclosure, um, which is where um, it's believed that the famous uh, birds of Zimbabwe um, were stored. Um, which the, the birds of Zimbabwe, if you look at sort of the seal of the modern state of Zimbabwe and also mm-hmm. Rhodesia, mm-hmm. there are these um, bird statues that are carved out of soapstone. Hmm. Um, there's a high balcony overlooking the eastern enclosure um, and a huge boulder um, that's in a shape similar to the Zimbabwe bird. I always kind of cringe a little bit when someone's like, oh, in Rhodesia. And I'm like, oh, God, don't, no, don't ever, no, <laughs> nothing to do with them, please. Um so the Great Enclosure is composed of an inner wall, um, which is encircling a series of, of other structures and a younger outer wall. Um, the, the conical tower within it is 18 feet in diameter and 30 feet high, um, and it was constructed between these two walls. Um, the valley complex is divided into the upper and lower valley ruins, 
um, which have different periods of occupation. Um, so there, there are a number of sort of archaeological interpretations of these groupings. Um, so one, one suggestion is that these areas are sort of um, the work of successive kings, whereas that is a king would sort of come into his reign, he'd move to a new area, like build a new um, sort of domicile there. Um, in sort of a fashion that, that we also see in other kingdoms, like for instance in ancient Egypt and also in imperial China, um, rulers would often build like a new palace to to sort of establish their rule in. Um, yeah, to, to assuage their ego, they have their own palace. So the, the it's believed that the focus of power um, moved from the hill complex in the 12th century to the great enclosure and the um, then to the upper valley and finally to the lower valley um, in the early 16th century. Um, there's another interpretation, which is referred to as the uh, structuralist um, interpretation, which holds that each of these complexes had different functions. Um, that the hill complex was a temple, uh, the valley uh, was for the sort of citizens of Great Zimbabwe, and the great enclosure was used by the king. Um, and it's believed that the structures that were, that were um, the most elaborate were probably built for kings, um, although... Um, it, it's hard to argue that because there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered. Okay. All right. Um, so the, the most important artifacts that were covered from the monument were the, um, the eight uh, Zimbabwe birds. And what are those eight Zimbabwe birds? Steve, um, Steve, you said there were nine. I'm distinctly remembering nine. You stole a fucking Zimbabwe bird, didn't you? Uh-oh. <laughs> this is between me and the good people at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> <laughs> I got two tablets of Gilgamesh going for about 80 million. You want them? Yeah, sure. We're going to put them in the kitsch section at the front of the store. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Ryan, Ryan, do you know <laughs> I about can give that? You the, listen, no, but I was going to say, I can give you the nine worst birds in Boston. You got the seagull. You got the pigeon. You got <laughs> no, keep it going. Keep it going. I want to see if you can really do it. I really don't have nine in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> you got the pigeon. You got the woodpecker. You got the blue jay. You got the fucking cardinal. That piece of shit. He want to come in. That's five. Party. That's five right there. You got the chickadee and you got the mockingbird. That's seven. Fuck every seven of one. Wait, seven. I gotta do nine. You gotta do nine. Ah, fuck. You gotta right, do so nine. You got? Did I already say the blue? What jay, about the? What about the crow? They the cork. crow. They cork. The crow. <laughs> Those smart motherfuckers. They cork. <laughs> And that's nine. Cork. That's nine. Cork. How would you say? Um, how would you say cork in a Boston accent? They cock. Cock. They cock. It sounds like a long A. They cock. Okay, got it. Like, like you would be like, yo, this guy over here. He's now I gotta cock. mark this podcast as, with mature content. I haven't had to do that recently. Um, so it, it's commonly believed that the birds um, were, were held within the eastern enclosure. Yeah, I love Steve, complex. man. We go right from cock to birds. <laughs> He's um, like, all right, now these two idiots are done. There are there are monoliths within that area that seem to be designed to hold the birds, but the birds were not found um, sitting in those monoliths. Right. So we're they're not entirely sure that if that's where they were supposed to be. That's uh, that's uh, interesting. Are they like some kind of cultural like artifact? Well, well, they are now. They're like a symbol of um, Zimbabwe, okay. um, which which we'll talk about, like sort of the modern legacy of, of Great Zimbabwe, okay. um, how like sort of how it was done um, from Rhodes into Rhodesia and then into the modern state of Zimbabwe. Okay. Um, so um, 
other artifacts that were found there were other soapstone figures. Um, one of these is currently within the British Museum. Um, pottery, iron gongs, um, elaborately worked ivory, iron and copper wire, iron hose, bronze spearheads, copper ingots and crucibles, um, gold beads, bracelets, pendants, and sheaths. You just said copper so many times, like the fucking drug addicts around my house just heard you and started like looking around like they heard a disturbance in the force. Um, I, iron also, hose, would that be like the the Greyjoy women? Would that be... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are tough women. Cadillac grills. I've uh, had ludicrous in my head for like two weeks now because there's this fucking commercial on Pluto TV where like uh, ludicrous is on there. By the way, ludicrous got fucking jacked. He looks like The Rock. Uh, oh, no, really? He's fucking jacked. And he's I gotta in, look him up now. He's in this commercial and he's just like... Uh, He's rapping, and, and he, but he can't quite get his flow going, and then he eats some Jif peanut butter and turns into a mumble rapper. What? Yeah. Yeah, check it out. Oh, my God. I feel bad. Holy uh, shit. Yeah, he got big. He looks like, uh, he looks like what's his name from um, Gaki no Tsukai, uh, Matsumoto. Matsumoto? Yeah, uh, Matsumoto got big, bro. Um, so... Uh, among other artifacts that were found in Great Zimbabwe were glass beads and porcelain from China and Persia, hmm. um, among items from other um, sort of foreign locales, um, okay. showing that there was international trade that came to the kingdom. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that people from Great Zimbabwe were going to these places. It means that things were finding their way around trade paths to Great Zimbabwe, meaning that it was part of the international trade sector. Makes sense. It's, it occupies eighteen hundred acres and has eighteen thousand people. Like I would imagine that that's going to be a pretty major trade hub. Um. So uh, among the uh, stone ruins of the city that still exist, um, the the eight um, the eight soapstone birds are there. Um, um, it's believed that these are based on a a a sort of mythological eagle um, within Shona culture. Um, called the uh, Batalor Eagle, mm-hmm. um, who's sort of considered a good omen and protective spirit that's a messenger of the gods. Okay. Um, I'm not going to make a joke about the messenger of the gods, Steve. You can just keep going. Um, so, as, <laughs> as I stated before, it was a center of trade, um, and that a, a lot of artifacts suggest that they traded with Kilwa, um, and this went all the way to China. Kilowa uh, from Hunter x Hunter? That's Kilowa. <laughs> so, I'm curious. Has, you just does said China the same have time. any kind of artifacts that we can identify as being from Great Zimbabwe? Like, somehow it got traded out to China? Um, there, there probably are in some museums. For instance, like in, like in some museums you'll see, like, glass and things from Rome. Um, so there are items from, from sort of, like, far away. I would mm-hmm. not be surprised if there were, but if it was, it was probably a gold item. Okay. Um, so it was probably either melted down or repurposed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, I, you know, if you find Chinese artifacts in Great Zimbabwe, it would stand to reason that you would find Zim, Zim, Zimbabwean, Zimbab. I've seen s- a lot of oh, artifacts over there. Well, a lot of the wealth from Zimbabwe was based on gold. Yeah. Um, which is a, which is a valuable item, so you can repurpose it. But things like you know glass. Um, like pottery, um, ceramics, you can't really, you know, right. remake that. I've um, seen some Zimbabwe art at the um, the art museum at Princeton University. 
Um, mm-hmm. I've been there a few times. Um, I love museums and art history, by the way. It's just like a totally nerd out thing. And uh, I've taken Cassie there twice, I think. But every time I find something new. And it's it's really interesting. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. They have really good docents. Really, really well... Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, what really like well-informed docents, so you can just ask them a question and they just, they will just keep fucking going. It's ridiculous. Like, holy shit. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's very fun. If you're ever in Princeton, just definitely stop by the university and go to the art museum. It's great. Um, so we do have, um, there, there were copper coins found at, uh, at Kilwa, uh, Kisawani, um, that appear to be originating from, um, the, the Swahili coast. The Swahili coast is the east coast, right? Because you said it's an eastern <laughs> language. Oh, man, look at that. I'm yeah. developing new synaptic structures. Fuck. He's learning. I'm oh. learning. And, and, like I, and like I stated before, that most of the international trade from Great Zimbabwe was in gold and ivory. Um, and it's believed that about um, more than 20 million ounces of gold were extracted from the ground um, in Great Zimbabwe. 20 million ounces? Um Hold on, yeah. hold on a second here. Uh, 20 million ounces <laughs> in pounds. That's a, that's 1 million pounds of gold. All right, so let's see here. Uh, 1.25 million pounds of That's 625 gold tons, if you really want to get down to of it. Of gold in dollars. Let's see, in dollars. Oh, I broke Google. Can't, bro, Google, like, bro. Ah. I can't do it. How many tons was it? Uh, Six hundred twenty-five tons. Is that a metric ton or a short or a long ton? It's a ton. It's a two thousand pounds. It's, it's a right, so that's ton. a so that's a long. That's a short ton. It. <laughs> all right, so it's like a how many like tons? A, two, like a, how many tons? It's a metric fuckload. If you can type. All right, how many tons? How many tons is that? It's 625 tons. 625 tons is worth 30, 300 and th- oh god, three <laughs> three trillion dollars. God, three trillion dollars in 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 fourteen ninety six money. So what is three trillion dollars now? <laughs> in four, well, in, in fourteen ninety six money, it's probably worth like I don't know six bugs and a beetle. Like I don't know, you know. <laughs> I'll give no you a idea. blue bead for it. <laughs> Google, if I had six trillion dollars in fourteen ninety six, how much money do I have now? <laughs> I'm not asking Google any more questions today. Um, within the <laughs> within the local agricultural economy, um, cattle were believed to be uh, the most important aspect of it. Um, That's a smart because system. Within the region, cattle is is commonly the uh, the sort of uh, main uh, farm animal that's used, um, and it's moved along as sort of grazing. Um, is it worshipped the same as they look at it in India where they will not eat it? No. Or do they actually raise it to for food? They, they raise it for food. Okay. Um, so, um, and, and also other items that were found, uh, they also found coins from Arabia. Um, so it, it's showing that they are getting a lot of trade from, from sort of all over. Um, but there's no, there's no sort of evidence to suggest um, that, that arch- architectural concepts were exchanged. Um, to Great Zimbabwe um, from places like Kilwa. Um, so the Great Zimbabwe itself is believed to be like originally designed. Um, it wasn't like they, they brought in a foreign expert or they went somewhere else to see how they built 
their cities, it's believed this is how they sort of organically built their city. Okay. Hmm. Um, they didn't have city planners or city skylines to build up well, they, mock well, they concepts did have, first. Well, they did have city planners, but they were, like, they're just guys going at it for the first time. Like, all yeah, right, so yeah. we're going to... Um, so we're not really sure exactly why the city declined and was, was eventually abandoned. Um, it, we do know that it was probably around 1450, um, and that, that it was like fully abandoned. Um, and one of the reasons is suggested that, that trade had declined. Um, another is that the, the gold mines had become exhausted. Um, one is that, um, that political instability caused by famine and water shortages, um, caused the city to sort of, uh, collapse and people to move away. Um, which what's, is actually What's the common. ancient aliens, uh, synopsis for that? Well, they were all abducted, Steve. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> they, all, like, they all got uh, abducted to the mothership. It's like Roanoke, you know? I mean, that's what happened. It wasn't. It had nothing to do with the Native Americans. It had everything to do with the fact that they got abducted. Um, <laughs> so, w- one of the theories is that great that um, the decline of Great Zimbabwe led um, to sort of the creation of the Mutapa state. Um, and that was sort of like sort of a branch off of northward expansion of like sort of the great Zimbabwe culture. Um, cause this was originally founded by a guy named, uh, Phil Simba, uh, <laughs> um, Phil who, Musopa. Was sent, who was sent north from great Zimbabwe to find new sources of salt. All these flavors and you had to choose salt. You had, you had to be salty. <laughs> Because um, well, it is, at least it, it is it, inland, so they don't have a natural salt. So the history of Zimbabwe after Great Zimbabwe is all these flavors. You had to choose salt, right? If I knew nothing about Zimbabwe right now, at least I know that they are not Caucasian because they're actually looking for salt. All right, enough with the enough with the white people don't spice things bullshit thing. Okay, white people they don't, white people definitely spice their food. Right, I'm white. I white, know that white people don't Ryan, spice their food. White, I had to grow people, up with a mother who believed that salt was going to give you a heart attack. What nationality is she? She's white. No, that's well, not a nationality. <laughs> she. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, I know what you're saying. Okay, is she so Irish? Irish? Yeah, she's what? Irish. She's Irish. Irish people spice yeah. their food. Well, uh, well, not this one. You know that, like, one of the, the impetuses of, like, colonization was spice. Like, like the whole reason why the Portuguese are, like, going to the other side of the world and, like, holding, like, Indian cities at gunpoint was for spices. Like, And again, the else. Portuguese, not the British. The British, yeah, they conquered Portuguese everything for fucking All right, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we're talking about the British, your argument holds water. <laughs> All right, and it holds water specifically because there's no spice to suck that water up. All right, they literally but, <laughs> conquered the world and said, "Fuck your spices. Let me just get these shitty Any, leaves that I can boil in my water." I just hate Anyways. the I hate the idea that you know, like it's not a racism thing. It's just like uh, the idea that white people don't spice yeah. their food is such a dumb generalization. Like it's hey, ridiculous. listen, let me ask you a question real quick. We real had real an quick. entire fucking cabinet in my house full of spice. goddammit, it, and let I feel bad about it. You know, let me ask you something. Yeah. You. You do your laundry, right? You do your own laundry? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Uh, when you put your clothes from the washer into the dryer, how many dryer sheets do you put in there? One. You don't even spice your fucking laundry, bro. Zero. <laughs> well, well, why would I put more than one? If you put Because if you, those are like seasonings. If, those are if like you spices. put more than one laundry sheet in your dryer, I'm going to assume that you're making like 
you know, eighty dollars an hour. Those things are expensive, <laughs> dude. Also, by the way, like two, here, three. Let me ask you, you this. Let me ask you this. When you're uh, done drying your clothes, what do you do with your laundry sheets, your dryer sheets? What do you do with them? Save them to remove the love bugs from the front of my truck in the summertime. See, you're a fucking yeah. Floridian. You know what's up. <laughs> That's the answer I was looking for. Yo, Just so hey, everyone else in the country knows, we have a bug. UCF didn't create it in a weird failed experience in the 70s. That never happened. But we have a bug called a love bug. And dryer sheets, mwah, chef's fingers. Just, uh, that's, how you get them off the, that's how you get them off your it's, vehicle. It's because they're... Their blood or whatever is highly acidic, mm-hmm. and, and and the dryer sheet just like mine. Bad. But I take the ivermectin it's, for that, so it's, it's very uh, basic. So they cancel each other out. So you just wet a, yeah. a dryer. So sheet what you're saying is, over the love in bugs. order to kill love bugs, you need to make them basic bitches. Yes. Yes. Um, All right. Got so, it. so the whole thing with like um, the, the sort of story of this <laughs> enough thing about going, white spice. <laughs> Going, going north to find salt, the, the most boring of spices. Um, Shut your mouth. Is, um, it, it sort of supports the idea that Great Zimbabwe declined due to a lack of resources, which is not uncommon. For instance, it's commonly believed that the Indus Valley uh, civilization in India, which was sort of the city-building prehistoric civilization that had collapsed, because they had run out of like sort of materials to keep making bricks. They so so it was a great Zimbabwe failed because of a lack of flavor. So Guy well, Fieri could have saved. Look, if you're well, look, well, my point is is, is there's probably a huge swath of white people who don't spice their food. Okay, well, you have to you have to remember that you're all thinking about this from a modern perspective. Because when you're you're thinking of salt merely as a seasoning, whereas uh, yeah, salt, easy cure meat. And yeah, yeah. Well, salt yeah, during yeah. this period is a curative, so you yeah. don't have refrigeration. That's the only way you're going to preserve meat is by salting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't really know who the first European was um, to visit Great Zimbabwe. Um, we believe it's believed that the uh, Portuguese uh, traveler. Um, Antonio uh, Fernandez, who traveled in um, from 1513 to 1515, um, who crossed to the area twice, um, he might have encountered some of it because he reported seeing um, fortified structures of stone that were not held together by mortar. Antonio Banderas said this? Antonio Fernandez. <laughs> it, it's most likely that he passed around 35 miles south of the, the main site of Great Zimbabwe. Um, so he... That, that's probably a reason why he didn't make a reference to Great Zimbabwe. Um, but other Portuguese traders had heard uh, stories of sort of this um, this ancient city um, in the early 1600s. And, they, um, and a lot of what we know from that period is from their interviews with locals and other traders. Hmm. Uh, one, one of them, or, or two of these accounts, mentioned that there is an inscription above um, an entrance to Great Zimbabwe... That was written in a language that neither um, that that was not known to the Arab traders that they talked with. Right, it's probably Polish. <laughs> <laughs> it just says right above. We'll, we'll set- get to that, Steve. Oh we'll no, he off. said. We said we'll get to it. <laughs> oh it. shit, um, dude! Does it, it, dude? Does it just say kurva like right above the thing? Is that what it says? We'll 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 get there. Steve says, "Jivka skruvia machte kurva." And just in, mature in content in Poland, by the way, mature content. <laughs> in, in 1506, an explorer named uh, Diego uh, de Alvasova, um, he described the edifices of the city um, in a letter to the king of Portugal, 
um, writing that they were part of a larger kingdom called uh, Ukulonga, um, which we believed was um, it, presumably his pronunciation of Karanga, which is a dialect of the Shona people, yeah. um, which is spoken I'm, I'm um, in the, the Midland provinces <laughs> of Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not, so thank you for the lecture, Thank you. Um, Jao de, de Barros, um, he also wrote of um, sort of descriptions of Great Zimbabwe that were given to him by Arab traders um, who had traveled within the hinterland. Because um, most of these Portuguese guys are not going inland um, because the area where Great Zimbabwe is is far away from where their, their sort of forts are. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not until around the 19th century that Europeans start actually like taking over the area of Africa. They they mostly maintain coastal forts. That makes sense. Um, as to who the identities of the people who built Zimbabwe was, um, De Barros writes, uh, when and by whom these edifices were raised, as the people of the land are ignorant of the art of writing, there is no record. But they say... They say they are the work of the devil, and for in comparison with their power and knowledge, it does not seem possible to them they should be the work of man. Jesus. Which is probably tinged by the, the Arab traders. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it. Um, that sounds like also, that sounds like a Christian take, too. No offense. And, and also, <laughs> also, De Barros uh, asserted that, quote-unquote, in the opinion of the Moors who saw it, uh, Great Zimbabwe... Um, it is very ancient and was built to keep possessions of the mines, which are very old, and no gold has been extracted from them for years because of the wars. It would seem that some prince who has possessions of these mines ordered it to be built as a sign thereof, which he afterwards lost in the course of time and through their being so remote from his kingdom. He also stated uh, that... Uh, uh, Zimbabwe is guarded by a nobleman who was charge of it after the manner of the chief um, Alcede, which I believe is like a like a leader mm-hmm. um, within Portuguese, and, and they call this officer uh, Simbacayo. Um, and there are always some of the Beno uh, Motapa's wives therein, of whom uh, Simbacayo takes care. This great Zimbabwe, um, uh, it, it's believed from this that. Um, Great Zimbabwe still had people living there during this period hmm. um, in the 16th century, but it's most likely, you know, not the original creators, um, just just people who, you know, found free real estate. It's free real estate. It's free real estate. Um, so the, the ruins sort of don't really get um, encountered again until um, 1867 when a German-American hunter named Adam Render um, comes across them. Um, he was also a prospector and a trader. Um, and in 1871, he showed the ruins uh, to a German explorer named Karl Mach, um, who was also doing a geography of Africa. Kufra Mach? Karl um, Mach. <laughs> no, he said Karl Mach, man. Karl Mach. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Motherfuckers from the goddamn South Shore, this Karl uh, motherfucker. Karl, Karl Mach, though, um, he, in, in September... It was just more Polish, by the way. It just means kind of like, for fuck's sake, Kuvra Mach. Um, <laughs> he, he sort of comes to believe in his writings um, that that these ruins are the... Um, that, that they have an association with King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. No. Wait, maybe. 
Um, and and some, <coughs> other, um, some other Portuguese writers also assert this. Because um, uh, Europeans sort of have this obsession with finding uh, the kingdom of, of Prester John, who's sort of this mythological I figure. have heard that um, before. What is that? But commonly believed is that Prester John is most likely um, stories of Ethiopia, because Ethiopia was a Christian uh, kingdom within Africa. Um, and it's sort of believed that Prester John was probably an Ethiopian. Um, there, there's a period in like the 1600s, I believe, where a, a the ambassador from uh, from Ethiopia has to go to like the Portuguese court, and they keep they keep introducing him as like a representative of, of <laughs> Prester John, and he's just like confused about it. But they're just like, just go with it. Just go with it. Just 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 keep it going. Um, it's fine. And, and much. And Mach keeps uh, doubling down on his sort of theory. Um, I'm talking about uh, talking about Kurva Mach. Is that who you're talking about? No. <laughs> so Mach also goes further to state that he believes that Great Zimbabwe is built in sort of um, sort of the same way as the palace of the Queen of Sheba in Jerusalem, and that he also further claims that a wooden lintel that was found at the site was constructed of Lebanese cedar, which was brought to the area by Phoenicians. I'm assuming you're not talking about a lentil bean. Uh, a lentil, <laughs> like, cedar. Or, okay. or a lentil is like a, um... It's a bean. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to throw it out there, but you're talking about made of, like, wood and shit. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a horizontal block. Like, if you look at a window, and okay. a window commonly just has, like, a block that's above, like, the window itself. Right. That's a lintel. Okay, okay. So, so he essentially sees this wood lintel, and he's doing sort of, like, the bi- like the biblical, like, history, like, where they're like, well, Noah's Ark, well, obviously Noah's Ark is here, and this is obviously, you know... Obviously. They, they're, they're just going with Bible history here. Um, and, um, so, the, the, this sort of theory and, and sort of legend that it's associated with the Queen of Sheba... Um, is, is sort of becomes uh, popular within the later uh, white settler community um, and goes on until modern day. Um, a scholar named James Theodore Bent uh, says of it, uh, the names of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba were on everybody's lips and have become so distasteful to us that we never expect to hear them again without an involuntary shudder. Meaning that because like the common people are sort of like positing this legend, you know, like, like we we're we're very familiar with these legends as people from the south, you know, especially about the Confederacy and slavery. But right. it's just like these white people who moved to Africa and they're just like, well, actually, this was founded by you know Europeans, like Middle Eastern people from the Bible, you know, white Middle Eastern people from the Bible, and as white as Jesus was. <laughs> um, later on in 1905, uh, that's a, a that's a mythological. Once again, my I think honestly, side note, side note, one of my absolute favorite parts of Christianity is how they constantly have a fucking like blonde haired, blue eyed white dude, and I'm like, um, can we step back and remember where this guy's from? <laughs> um, I, I don't think people that look like me always, are going to be from there. Loved, I always loved the guy that they had, um, that they like. I think it was Discovery Channel or someone did it or National Geographic, where they did, like, sort of, like, a reconstruction of what Jesus probably would have looked like. Yeah. 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 And he just looked, he, he just looked like, uh, 
He just looked like Saddam Hussein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he literally looked like an average Middle yeah. Eastern dude. People were like, that's like not Jesus. Olive, Jesus white. olive, dark olive skin with uh, mustache, black hair. He literally yeah. looked like Saddam Hussein when they pulled him out of that spider hole because his hair was all messed <laughs> yeah. up. Did I tell you guys that story? Like, like, I, I probably uncapped. shouldn't tell that story, but anyway. I'll tell you guys um, after the podcast. But the uh, the Jesus, <laughs> the Jesus, remind me but the, about Saddam Hussein, but the Jesus thing is so interesting to me because, like... I love it. They, I love it. They pull this guy out. It's the ultimate example that your religion is ultimately about your preconceptions and how the how the religion fits in with your preconceptions because it's just ridiculous, you know? And that it's kind of a white supremacist religion. Well... Like, let's be real. Well, it's no... It, let's no, no, it's... Well, it's not well, a white well, supremacist like religion. But it's, I don't like mean, like, Baptist. white supremacist, like, Aryan nation. I mean, like, as in... Like in a hierarchy, white. I think it has something to do with the whole like clannish tribal nature of humanity, which is uh, un- unfortunately related to like Joe Rogan shit because he likes it so much. But you know, we, right. we are very clannish people. We're very insular oh, yeah. uh, as far as oh, like yeah. culturally. But like, well, I also say like if you go to Korea, like I have a picture with me. Yeah, a Korean like, Jesus. Korean Jesus. Korean Jesus. Like yeah. there's there's a Korean Jesus. There's yeah. a Chinese. Yeah, Jesus. he's like, always like what? in your. He, it's always made in your own image. But at the same time, you have to. At some point, you have to grow up and realize if I take this book to be serious, then I have to reconcile with the fact that the man that is from the Middle East, I'm trying to paint as a white dude. Like it's not. But- but it's also the thing too. It's just sort of a, a thing for you to identify with it. It's not meant to be like it. Like unless you're one of those like weirdo Baptist people that that are like a, a biblical literalist. Like th- those people can't be helped regardless. But just the fact right. that <laughs> everything that's depicted from the Bible is not depicted in a sense of like this is as it actually happened. It's depicted in a way that this sort of resonates with you, the reader. And, and we just like, lost instance, every America, southern religious person. <laughs> well, since Americans are predominantly white, there's going to be more white representations of Jesus as opposed to brown or black. So in, in 1905, an um, uh, archaeologist named Carl Peters uh, finds a, um, a ceramic um, Ushabti statue. Uh, Ushabti are um, Egyptian like burial um, statues. They're, they're those little like sort of, I wouldn't call them a figurine. But it's like in the shape of like a sarcophagus or like an Egyptian god, um, th- those little statuary items. Um, so he looked at it and he examined the cartouche on the chest. And he said that it belonged to an 18th dynasty pharaoh, um, the Third, um, and he suggested um, that it was uh, proof of commercial ties between the rulers in the area and ancient Egypt during the New Kingdom, which was from 1550 to 1077 BC. Um, so, Jesus. um, and that, and that if he said, if it wasn't, um, from that, that it was possibly from an old Egyptian station near the local gold mines. Um, but a- another, um, archeologist, uh, Johann, uh, Heinrich, uh, Schaefer, um, he examined the statuette and he argued that it was a forgery, um, because there are a lot of forgeries of Egyptian items and also later on, um, into the middle ages and such, you know, people are replicating these. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, another another specialist, uh, Felix von uh, Luschan, um, he suggested that it was also um, uh, more recent, but he claims of the New Kingdom, um, or, or more recent than the New Kingdom. Um, he he claimed that it was from the uh, the Ptolemaic period of Egypt, which was from three twenty to thirty BC. Ptolemy. Um, when uh, when. 
Um, Would you call me? <laughs> when Greek when Greek merchants would have Quarter possibly traded, um, would have possibly traded um, Egyptian antiquities um, and pseudo antiquities uh, to Southern Africa, possibly through major ports like Axum. And at what point did Hobby Lobby come into this? It's not biblical enough, so. Oh, okay. Um, uh, J. Theodore Bent, um, he was a specialist who went a, who undertook a season in Zimbabwe um, under the patronage of Cecil Rhodes, um, and the and and was funded by the Royal Geographical Society and the British Association for the Advancement of Science. Um, so he, after doing this uh, these excavations, um, he writes a book about this uh, for English readers. Um, Bent himself had no actual formal archaeological training, um, but he had like traveled um, extensively through Arabia, Greece, um, and Central Asia. Hmm. He was aided by a uh, cartographer and surveyor named Robert um, M. W. Swan, um, who had um, who had visited and surveyed um, stone ruins nearby. Um, Bent stated in his book, which was titled "The Ruined Cities." of Mashonaland, which was published in 1892, that the ruins themselves were either Phoenicians um, or built by Arabs. Um, and that he that his theory was that it was a, a fortress in antiquity. Um, in a third edition of his book, um, published in 1902, um, he sort of became more specific, and he said that it was constructed by either a Semitic race um, and possibly they were of Arabian origin. Um, and that they themselves were strongly commercial traders living within a quiet African city. Huh. So, so he's essentially, um, it, it's almost like ancient aliens, but instead of aliens, it's white people. Um, <laughs> though, though it can be argued, it can be argued that the Carthaginian or the Phoenicians themselves were, were probably, um, a bit darker. Like, uh, I was, I thought you were going to say... Standard, I thought you were going to say it can be argued that white people invented aliens, which is probably <laughs> probably accurate. No, no. Well, we've learned too that you know black people are all about UFO cults too. So, what do you mean? Like the Nation of Islam. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, remember the Nation of Islam like comes about like before like the big UFO craze. Because remember, it starts like in the nineteen twenties. Hmm. That's that's really um, cause, interesting because they're, asso- they're associating angels with aliens. Um, uh, one one group during this period that tried to uh, claim that that their people had constructed Great Zimbabwe were a group called the Lemba, um, which are a, an ethnic group that speak um, uh, Bantu languages spoken by um, their their geographic neighbors and resemble them physically, um, but they have certain beliefs. Um, they're similar to those as um, Judaism and Islam, which they claim were transmitted to them by oral tradition, uh, which could possibly mean, you know, through encountering Arab traders, you know, that they, mm-hmm. that they adopted um, right. sort of Islamic practices. Right. So, um, so, and they also have a tradition of um, Jewish or South Arabian descent through their male line. Um, but... Um, genetic um, Y-DNA analysis done on them in the 2000s has established um, that there was a, a partial uh, Middle Eastern origin um, within the male uh, Lemba population. Okay. Um, but these these research studies do not support claims that, they, that it was a specifically uh, Jewish genetic heritage. Um, so it likely is that they do have some uh, Semitic 
um, sort of offshoots, like maybe uh, Arabian traders came in. Um, you see this in China, for instance, with the Hui people, um, who are Muslims, who predominantly look um, ethnically Han, like mainstream Chinese, um, but they, they practice Islam, and they are um, they are often descended from Persian traders that, that would live and operate within China. Hmm. Aren't they also heavily prosecuted as well? Or no, that's the, that's the Uyghurs. Yeah. Well, the, I know the, the Uyghurs the are, Hui, but aren't the Wei also? No, the Hui are very nationalistic because okay. they're they're pretty much just Han Muslims. Okay. So and and they they became big proponents of the Nationalist Party after the okay. revolution. I know the Uyghurs were like I know what the um, I know. Oh, it's absolutely okay. horrendous. It's ar- yeah. it's arguably some of the worst treatment going on in the world today. I just um, didn't know if the Hui were the same or not. One of one of the one of the reasons why they possibly started to claim this is because Europeans at this time were also obsessed with finding the the quote unquote lost tribe of Israel, right? Um, which today we know the lost tribe was in Ethiopia, um, but at this time they haven't established that yet, right? Um, for instance, Ethiopia is, I believe, Ethiopia is also where they believe the Holy Grail is in that one church. Well, well, no, it's the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, right, 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 right. Fucking whatever. Um, my bad. So, um, <laughs> Either way, Steve. The Holy this, this Grail, the Ark of the Covenant, I don't give a shit what Indiana this, Jones this, movie I am referencing, alright? Because, for instance, like, Mormons, like, Mormonism is based on the Lost bullshit. Tribe of Israel. I'm sorry, the Lost Tribe came, of Israel, right? Well, yes, that came to the Americas, <laughs> and that the, that the Native Americans are the descendants of the Lost Tribe of Israel, even though no... Like nothing like proves this. Like no DNA record, no archaeology. Oh, it's complete horseshit. Like, no, the whole yeah, religion yeah. the whole religion started as yeah. horseshit, but then became a real thing for a lot of people. Yeah, have you I got, found these um, plates. Have you guys ever I found these plates that told me how to be a good when person? When I used to read these plates. When I used to skate back in the day and we'd be all over the place, I definitely got into conversations with the foot soldiers before. The foot you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the white shirts, the name tags, the black ties. They're generally, they were generally really nice dudes who were just deluded. You know, I mean, listen, none of them are bad people. Well, let's not generalize that far. Some of them might be very bad people, (laughs) but the point is, is that I think the guys, I think, yeah, the foot, they're just, they're just uh, frontline workers. You know, I mean, that's all they are. They, they're misguided. They're Seven Eleven jockeys. That's really all they're. They're, they're jockeying mis- a register. They just need um, a little bit of, uh, you know, get back. On most the right of the track. things I'd say, like the reality of their lives is is really all they need is some like air for their bike tires, maybe some new helmets, you know, <laughs> some uh, maybe some new white shirts. They got pit stains from driving around on those bikes. Yeah. I pause so, it. You give them a cup of coffee. And just let them get laid once. They'll never look. Yeah, because I, one thing I've learned in my old age is that you can. You're never going to have a conversation with someone like that if you talk religion. But if you're just really nice to them, they'd be like, "Hey, man, maybe there are nice people who aren't well, Mormon." Well, Ryan, uh, <laughs> uh, Mormons Mormons don't have anything against sex. It's just sex outside of marriage. Like they they like yeah, to fuck. That's why they like to that's marry. Why, that's multiple why they have a million people. children. That's why they have multiple that are wives. Like Seventeen and eighteen riding the bike are not married. Yeah, but they have to go on their mission first. Yeah, exactly. So you could stop it, cut it off at the pass, let them get laid, and be like, "Oh, yeah." Hang on, <laughs> I need more of this Ryan, now. I'm not Ryan, these are these are the guys that have to go into a pact that like they have a buddy that if they think they're going to masturbate, they have to call up their buddy yeah. who like talks them down from masturbating. Yeah, I'm not what? Yeah, yeah. That, what? That's yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah. You know, what? there was a what? there was a big revolt among wait, that group. Wait, wait. No, come on. I, wait, I've told so this story I, wait, before. So if I want to jerk off, I got to call somebody to talk me off the ledge. Yeah, well, Ryan, you're <laughs> acting like you don't call me every time. 
Ryan, it's like it's like all you for you to for talk like, me through it. I don't want you to talk. All right, about you it. want to stroke up it's and like, then down. It's like AA, but for masturbating, where they're just like I'm I told about you. Doing it. It's like it's like you stay there, buddy. I'm gonna I'm gonna come over. We're gonna work. We're gonna pray this out. Nah, dude. I told you. I I had a computer at work. I was working on it, and there was a software on there. I won't say the name. Yes. And that software was basically to what? alert the other guy's friend that he was on an adult website. Well, and well, then, Steve, it's, and then it's worse than that. Yeah, it's it's worse than. How that is it worse that's, than that? That's, that's unbelievably <laughs> intrusive. Well, well, no, no, Steve. When I say it's worse than that, is because what that software does is every fifteen minutes it takes a picture of what's on the desktop and it sends it, Steve, to the people. I had to reinstall it. I am yes, aware. No, but what I'm saying is what is that it's a huge security thing. Yeah, because I'm if so, that person we... works with any sensitive info. Yep. They've just sent that picture to an account that can probably easily be hacked. Yeah. Can we please go back to what you just said about it takes a screen? It basically what it does is it does two things. It monitors it monitors the keyboard for certain URL results. So it's got a key logger in it. Okay. Which means it's monitoring your password entries yeah. too. And then it also can be configured to take a screenshot every a certain interval. And as long as those screenshots are okay, then you're okay. But if you are on well, Pornhub.com, then you're Ryan. What? A, a, thing, a, thing about, a thing about that software, too, is that it, it recently came out during the Joshua Duggar case that oh, sure. it, does not, it does not recognize things from the deep web, which is where he was getting all of his stuff because it was like hardcore, violent child pornography. Yeah, he's, he he's awesome. So if it's just a keylogger so, and you can't get around a keylogger in the year of our Lord 2021, you're just garbage and just no, you don't, trying to do No, you that. don't understand. They but like, they installed this software on their screen? own, Ryan. Yeah, he installed it. He installed it on his it's, own. He wasn't trying to, to get around it. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's not trying to get around it. He installed it on his own of his own volition. What the fuck? And when yeah. I didn't reinstall it, which I did, that was my dug. That was my dig. It was basically not to reinstall that software. I had to reinstall it remotely because he was upset that I didn't reinstall it for him. That like I. I just I I can't fucking I can't um, mm, no what what no it's not the worst thing I've come across in IT but it was one of like the the most ridiculous things I've ever seen on a computer that's that's oh oh my god it's right um, my bad so <laughs> the the original claim uh, of the Lembo being sort of this like lost um, possibly lost Jewish tribe was first reported by William Bolts in 1777. Um, Willie Bolts to the to the authorities of the uh, the Austrian Habsburg court and also the fuck are they doing a, there? A, well, they're they're sending out explorers because you know they want to steal all the nice things that are in Africa. Ah, uh, um, yes. And and A. A. Anderson, a, an explorer who wrote about his travels um, in the area in the 19th century. Um, so uh, both explorers have been told that the that the the stone edifices of Great Zimbabwe. And the gold mines themselves were constructed by a people known as the Balemba. Mm -hmm. uh, however, um, the archaeological uh, record and, and scholarship seems to support that Great Zimbabwe um, was constructed by people of the Shona and Venda peoples. So the main, like... Essentially what I said at the top of the show, that it is it was constructed by the predominant ethnic group that lives I'm sorry, in Sorry, that's what I was looking today. for, a predominant ethnic group, right. Yes. Um, so the first actual scientific archaeological excavations at the site 
were done by David Randall McKeever um, for the British Association in 1905 and 1906. Um, So you have to remember, archaeologists before, like, 1900, and even at this period, like, they're just sort of like they're not using any rigorous sort of science like archaeologists today. They're just like dynamiting and just like just digging up stuff. Yeah. And just like like the guy like the guy who found Troy, like he committed massive amounts of damage to the archaeological record because he was destroying and blowing through everything that wasn't from Troy. I think so he was it's so he's literally blowing through like two thousand, three thousand years of history right. just to get to what he wanted. It's unbelievable. Like literally blowing it up. <laughs> I hate those people so much. Um, so he he wrote that um, that he believed that it, in his work that sort of um, talked about this medieval uh, Rhodesia. Um, he he believed that the items at the site were for, of Bantu origin. Uh, Bantu is sort of like the large uh, ethnic sort of overarching ethnic group that, like, the Shona and other, like, the Zulu and stuff are related to, like, sort of this Bantu cultural group. Okay. Um, and he suggested that um, that the the settlements themselves, um, that they were of, um, that they were constructed within sort of, like, a medieval era, um, and that he believed that they were walled fortifications and a temple. Um, though a lot of this was not immediately accepted, um, mostly because... Um, his his excavation and his um, his sort of period there was very short. Uh, later on in 1929, um, a um, an archaeologist named Gertrude Catton uh, Thompson um, she visited there for 12 days um, as part of a three person team, and they dug several trenches within the area of Great Zimbabwe. Um, and she also posited that the site was was most likely created by a Bantu culture. Um, okay. So, so we're in agreement. It's Bantu. So she first did three <laughs> test pits, um, and then what she found, which a lot of like archaeologists is digging through people's garbage, um, she found uh, refuse heaps on the upper terraces of the hill complex, um, which she found a mix of unremarkable pottery and ironwork. Um, she moved on to the conical tower, and she tried to dig under the tower, um, arguing that she believed that the area there would be undisturbed, but nothing was really found there. Um, further test trenches... Um, were put down um, outside the area of, of the lower Great Enclosure um, and within the valley ruins. And in there she found domestic, um, domestically created ironwork, glass beads, and a gold bracelet. Oh, okay. Um, after this, she immediately announces that she believes that this is um, a site of Bantu origin um, at a meeting of the British Association in, Johann- in Johannesburg. Okay. Um, so... Even going over all of the existing evidence and everything that was gathered from that area, um, that you can't really find anything that that sort of uh, goes against the fact that it was created by a Bantu culture during a medieval time period. Okay. Um, So Bantu until proven otherwise then. Yeah, and um, her claim was not immediately favored, um, but um, among actual, like, scientific archaeologists, um, they they sort of supported her because she used very modern methods. Is there, like, a... is there like a scientific archaeologist? You mean just like modern archaeologists, or well, well, using a very modern like she's not just digging wherever. Like she has a very set like she has a very set pit. She's following like she's using brushes and things. Yeah, like other archaeologists are just like essentially like grave robbers. So the first guy comes through and says, "Hey, this stuff is uh, this stuff is Bantu." 
And everybody's like, all right. And then this, this, I'm, I'm assuming you said her name is Gertrude. So I'm assuming this is a woman. She says, yes. oh, yeah, no, I agree with this guy that said it's, they're Bantu. Yeah, these are probably Bantu. And now everybody's like, boo. Like, well, am I well, getting people, this right? Well, people didn't really agree with him as well. Because remember, okay. remember, they they sort of have this idea that it's not black people. Okay. Which will come up later on. And, and sort of like for propaganda purposes. Um, okay. For instance, like when the colony of Rhodesia starts up, like Rhodes sort of uses it as a vehicle saying like, you know, these people from outside came here and built a great civilization from the wealth of these mines. Like mm-hmm. we're going to do the same. Okay. Um, in 1931, she would later modify her theory a little bit saying that they might've possibly been influenced by um, Arabian architecture. God damn it, Gertrude. I was just here on your side. Now you want to change your mind, bitch. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Pretty much from the 1950s um, onward, um, it is generally agreed that it, Great Zimbabwe itself is was of African origin, um, that there that there was radiocarbon dating done on artifacts from the settlement um, that put it to at least the fifth century, um, and it's believed that the area was continuously inhabited from the 12th to 15th centuries. Um, the bulk of the finds that they found were from the 15th century, but it was around in the 16th, right? Yeah, there's still people living there in the 16th century, but they believe that like the this, the high mark of the civilization was in the 1400s, uh, okay. possibly right before the the Portuguese are getting there. Okay. So the Portuguese come in and fuck everything up. Is what you're saying? Well, well, no. I, I mean, like by the by the time they get there, like it's already gone, and people are just telling them, like, yeah, there was this thing there. Portuguese say. Well, it's like. It's like ghost towns today. Like, like if some, like if you were, like if you had never known anything about America and you went to Detroit, and someone had told you that Detroit was the wealthiest city in America in like 1965 or whatever it was, that it was ranked as like the wealthiest city in America and I think possibly the wealthiest city in the world, you think they were crazy because Detroit today is like it's a ruin, it's a shithole. Yeah, um, so real. it's sort it's of, it's Sorry, sort of the same it's thing. It's sort of the same thing, but on like a medieval. I like okay. a medieval standard. Oh, um, okay. So the the method that they used, uh, radio, uh, the radiocarbon evidence they used, which was a suite of twenty eight measurements, um, and and of those, um, all but the first four um, are considered to be um, inaccurate. Um, and from that, we know that it supports that the area was mostly inhabited from the twelfth to fifteenth centuries. Twelfth to fifteenth centuries, mostly inhabited. Yeah, that, that those were the areas of highest inhabitation. Um, and in the 1970s, there was a beam that was produced um, from the sites um, that that was reanalyzed and was given a 14th century date. Um, and the, the dating on the Chinese, Persian, and Syrian artifacts that were found also support a 12th to 15th century um, date for the, like, the, the highest period of um, inhabitation. Um, so... We archaeologists generally believe that the builders spoke one of the Shona languages um, based on um, evidence such as uh, pottery, um, oral traditions of the area, and anthropology, and that they were probably descended from the the Gokomir culture that I mentioned before. Um, Gokomir culture is an eastern Bantu subgroup, um, and it existed in that area of Africa um, from 200 AD, um, and then eventually... Um, flourish from 500 AD to 800 AD. Um, so this 
the the archaeological record sort of indicates that this was the earliest phase of Great Zimbabwe culture, um, and that these Gokomir people, that their culture um, gave rise to the modern Mashona people, um, who are an ethnic subgroup um, of the um, of the the Karanga clan and the Roswe culture, um, which originate within uh, several Shona states. Roswe. Why does that sound familiar? Roswell. No, but that's what Google autocorrected, but that's not what I was looking to do. <laughs> Since we, I um, want to uh, I want to make like a Dragon Ball joke with the Goku Mir culture and the Shonen. Yeah, people. I was going to do it earlier, but I just kind of <laughs> noped out. You know, I was going to ask what their power level was and I was going to, you um, know. And it's likely, as mentioned before, they have any they were pervy grandfathers, you know. <laughs> if, if they were also related to the Mpunga Boy uh, civilization of northern South Africa. Yeah, Mpunga Boy is good. Um. Uh, so... <laughs> I love Mofungo. <laughs> Did you say you love your Funko Pop? Mofungo. <laughs> Mofungo. Is, is, is that the Robert Mugabe Pop? Mufungo? Is that the Robert Mugabe Fungo Pop? No, dude. It's Puerto Rican. <laughs> it's like is, fried plantains. Well, it's it's that are picked. It's, South, it's Latin. It's mainly it's, Puerto Rican. Mofungo. No, it's not, Steve. If you, if Go you Google Mofungo and, and you'll find out it's Puerto Rican, Steve, bro. Steve, you fucking say that, a Venezuelan man's going to break a bottle. Just because of... Ba- look, if a fucking guy... A Cuban that is going to a, kick you in the listen, shit. Listen, if a guy from Delaware makes spaghetti, that doesn't make it not Italian, all right? Mofungo's Puerto Rican. <laughs> I almost guarantee it's Puerto Rican. Generally Puerto Rican dish. <laughs> I'm on, I'm on Wikipedia. It says Mofungo is a Puerto Rican dish with fried plantains. <laughs> this is just, you know, just blatant. It says blatant it says it's it says it's blatant Latin it's American popular. Dish. It's popular throughout. Wait, Ryan, you'll love this. It's popular throughout Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, <laughs> New Jersey, <laughs> Florida, New York City, and Boston. <laughs> What? Uh, I checked. I've never heard of this shit. Try flushes again. Out. Try harder. Flushes out, bro. It's good. Um, it's good. You can you can definitely get it where you're at. Yeah, there's definitely someone who makes it near you. It's very good. But with uh, most most recent archaeology related to the site, um, the 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 most comprehensive description of the site was carried out by uh, Peter Garlake, um, David Beach, and Thomas Huffman. Um, worked on mainly the chronology and development of Great Zimbabwe, and Gilbert uh, Pawiti, um, who has also published extensively on the uh, trade links that went into Great Zimbabwe. What did they trade? Um, the stuff we talked gold. about before. Gold. Uh, uh, they look for salt. I might have been on a gold, beer run. Go- gold, and, gold and ivory. Gold and ivory, okay. okay. Remember, they, they have that, like, Trillions of dollars of yeah, the f- right okay, six hundred and twenty-five metric tons. <laughs> they're not just they're not just making like giant like gold like s- chairs to sit in or whatever. <laughs> um, so uh, the most uh, the the largest consensus appears to attribute that Great Zimbabwe to the Shona people, um, and the evidence also suggests um, that they're also related to the Venda-speaking peoples of the Mapungwe, uh civilization. Um, the ruins themselves have been damaged over the years. Um, a, a lot of um, gold and other artifacts have been removed in um, diggings by, by amateurs. 
um, and early uh, colonial um, antiquarians, um, which caused a lot of damage, um, notably by one guy named Richard uh, Nicklin Hall, um, who, who just sort of went in there and just like took everything that he like thought was valuable and destroyed everything that wasn't. Oof. Um, what a douchebag. Old Dick Hall, huh? And also, um, also caused by people digging within the area for gold, because remember, the area is rich in gold. Um, and they were also, hood rich, baby. And they were also, <laughs> the area's um, hood rich. Down south. Hood baby. <laughs> there were also, um, there were also attempts to reconstruct, um, the ruins in 1980, which also caused damage, um, and also caused the, uh, the local communities to, to become angered, um, at the government over that. What's some old Three Stooges type shit? We're gonna renovate Great Zimbabwe, but fuck it up. Steve, more. let me uh, let me ask you this, Steve. Like, one of my favorite books. I, I've told you this a million times. Is the Club Dumas um, by Reverte, and um, it was uh, the book that inspired the movie The Ninth Gate. Johnny Depp. It's a good movie. Yeah, good yes. movie, right? Yeah, We've yeah, watched yeah. It. Oh, I yeah. fucking love that movie. I'll watch that movie right after watching it. I literally will watch it twice in a row. I love that movie so much. But I love the idea of antiquarian booksellers. It's just something that really strikes me as interesting. And it seems like every time we bring up antiquarians in this podcast, that they're dumb. Like, it just seems like that. Like, that they that they do things, like, that a professional why would, wouldn't do. You know what I mean? Why, why I'd say that that's before, like, the modern era. Okay. Like, I would say th- these are people, like, back in the old days. You think days, they're more, like, like ignorant, like, maybe? Well, th- well, this is also, you have to remember, this is also in the period where, like, germ theory is not fully established. Like, sure. like these people don't fully understand, like, preservation techniques. They don't understand, like, like they're just sort of, like, any, like, they, like, from an archaeological standpoint, they don't understand that the thing that doesn't, like, the thing that they're not exactly looking for is still valuable. Mm-hmm. Like, an archaeologist is going to save everything. They're just, like, they're just, like, Homer, you know, like, when he's, when he's at the yard sale, or at the right. flea market, and he's just destroying like the Stradivarius <laughs> and the, the stamps or whatever. Like, like that's what they're doing. Cause they're just like, "Well, I need to find, I need to find this gold idol." And he's just like shattering pottery and just like useless, worthless. It's like the Link method stupid, of finding garbage. It's the Link yeah. method of finding Zelda. Right? You shatter all the pots in everyone's home, and then eventually Zelda shows up. You'll <laughs> uh, <laughs> find like five rupees. That's it. Uh, yep. Another problem. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Another issue has been that because the sites are open to visitors, um, visitors can also, like, they can climb on the walls, um, they can walk over archaeological deposits, um, and there are certain paths within the area of Great Zimbabwe that are overused, which cause, like, damage to the paths, which they themselves can cause further erosion and damage to the area. That's so uh, sad. I love um, these like old also, cities. That's so sad. Also, natural like natural conditions such as rain and, and weathering, um, and also vegetation have caused um, the the site to erode and become damaged over time. Hmm. Like Rome, beautiful. Uh, I've been to uh, Pom- or, uh, Pompeii, uh, right around Mount Vesuvius. Yeah. Like the, the ancient cities are beautiful. It's just so like cool to be in them, and then it's like, wow, people just don't give a fuck and they just destroy it it's terrible so one of one of the issues with scholarship around great zimbabwe uh, which as historian martin hall writes is that um a lot of the research into like sort of iron age and medieval area south of the zambezi river has is sort of like um overtaken by uh colonial ideologies 
um, both in sort of like the speculation about the nature of of the past of the region, um, and also um, in its use of modern uh, archaeological uh, methodologies. For instance, as well, um, black nationalist uh, groups um, also use Great Zimbabwe uh, to sort of uh, support their vision of Zimbabwe's present, um, and also uh, through media that, that sort of depicts um, a, a history of the area, like sort of like historical fiction. You can so not like Black Panther. Well, well, no, because like Black Black Panther is based on a place. But imagine if it was just like a story about people who lived in in sort of like a Great Zimbabwe that was sort of like a historical novel about people who lived in like ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, so what happens is that, as I mentioned, when white uh, uh, colonialists um, start coming in, um, like Cecil Rhodes. Um, he sees them as sort of like a sign of the riches of the area um, and, and what it could do for the new people. Um, and that a lot of his uh, presentation of Zimbabwe, as described by two historians, um, Pikarai and, and Karshalom, are that uh, he sort of does it to encourage settlement and investment in the region. Like he's sort of saying, like, there's this old civilization here and like we can be the new great civilization that exists in this region. Right. Um so basically when america falls the next people that come in and go like piggly wiggly this must have been a great place we will base our city on the great piggly no why do we always go to like the uh like the shittiest forms of culture when we make these arguments you know what i mean like like we assume the why do we why do we assume that mcdonald's will outlive like the ucf campus this thing says that they served billions every day. This must be a god. No, we will I, worship these golden arches. Is it because of the burgers <laughs> lasting 30 years, like in the wrapper? Like, is that what it is? Is it some kind of correlation, causation thing? You know? Because, like, why Why do we, like, not assume that, like, you know, like, saying gardens or something like that is not going to last longer? Literally, aliens are going to come to America and be like, they worship McDonald's. They worship Starbucks. And they worship like Verizon. I, I refuse like to that. believe that aliens exist on some timeline that doesn't include like trifles. Doesn't include what? Trifles, like little things that that the the culture kind of like herds to because it's simple and easy, like a McDonald's. You know, like McDonald's. The only reason people go to eat there is because it's simple and easy. It's the only reason you go to eat there. Don't tell me it's good. It's good, but it's good Not because trash. it's simple. It's, trash, it's good. It's, it's good because it's simple and easy. I, I'm more. Right, I'm more yeah. pragmatic when it comes to aliens. I think they've definitely had their McDonald's. <laughs> That's that would be the name of my thesis: aliens and their McDonald's enterprises. Uh, so, so to give you an idea of how like sort of early archaeology in the region was tinged, when when Gertrude Catton Thompson, um, when she talked about the the settlements that were in Great Zimbabwe. Um, she, while she did say that they were constructed by indigenous Africans, she did say that they were, quote-unquote, the product of an infantile mind built by a subjugated society. Man, she really cut right to the pith. Jesus right. Christ. That is a and fantastic in, sentence. You could repurpose that sentence. <laughs> Shit. In, mm-hmm. in the, and when Rhodesia became a, a sort of rogue independent nation in the 60s and 70s, um, they, they, the official line of the government, which was subject to censorship, was that 
the settlements at Great Zimbabwe were constructed by non-blacks. Hey, you guys know what my favorite thing about Rhodesia Hold on a second. I, I want you to tell me what your favorite thing is, and I'm sure it's the dog, but... No. Okay. Unironically, okay. my favorite thing about Rhodesia is their camouflage is so good you can't even find Rhodesia on a map. <laughs> oh, my God. You you know what? Um, Number one, you're not allowed to laugh. You're not allowed to laugh like Stavros on our podcast, all right? And number two. <laughs> you can't be Stavi, baby. <laughs> no, no one can be. Even if I got the stash. No, no even if you got the stash. You'd have to put on like 100 more pounds. Put on 100 pounds, which you work too hard. There's no way. You'd have to eat a, you'd have to eat a lot of mafongo. And then and then you gotta you gotta get a hairstyle that's kinda like Mario, but just in the back. Oh man. Like an Einstein, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you walk in the barbershop, yo, let me get an Einstein. So, because you have to remember, Ro- a box fade with an Einstein, is, please. Ro- Rhodesia was a was a white minority state. That the minority of, of white people in Rhodesia was much smaller than that of South Africa. Rhodesia was uh, uh, was Cecil Rhodes, right? Well, no, it's after they named the area after him. He never actually ruled the area that became Rhodesia. They call it Rhodesia. And if anyone wants of- to learn about this, you can go back and read our, uh, listen to our episode. You can't read it. Uh, we should probably do something about that. Maybe the, translate one of the first, one of the first episode twenty of-, of the Trilateral Troika goes into the Cecil Rhodes pretty hard. Um, one of the main <laughs> leaders of Rhodesia was a man named Ian Smith, um, and Ian Smith Dusty himself was incredibly racist. Um, Ian, well, Dusty, Dusty Rhodes is Rhodes. not racist, not racist um, at all, as far as we know. Yeah. Well, well, no, he hooked up Cody with Brandy. Like Brandy and Cody wouldn't be together, but still could be racist. I don't, I don't think a racist is going to tell his son. Which, by the way, Cody, uh, his wife is is Cuban um, that he had Cody with. And he's going to tell Cody, you know, hey, you should hook up with this uh, black girl. That's a good point. Solid point. Um, so, Ian Ian Smith, uh, essentially, his what he what he puts out in sort of like official speeches and and in interviews. And, and he's a very eloquent man, um, in, in sort of the same way that a lot of like like your David Duke style racists are. Is he says that he believes that it would take like a thousand more years um, for black people to be capable of being like on the same level as white people as a civilization. Um, and the official line of his government is that the Great Zimbabwe was not built by by blacks; that it was built by um, people from elsewhere. Um, and one of uh, one of the archaeologists who worked at the site, Paul Sinclair. Um, he was interviewed for a book that was about sort of the the history of like the media in um, Rhodesia and and also in Zimbabwe and sort of the construction of modern Zimbabwe called None But Ourselves. And this is uh, this is what he had to say on the matter. Um, I just before you read this, I don't believe anything that comes out of anybody's mouth with the name Sinclair. But please, he go says ahead. I was the archaeologist stationed at Great Zimbabwe. I was told by the then director of the Museums and Monuments Organization to be extremely careful about talking to the press about the origins of the Great Zimbabwe State. I was told that the museum service was in a difficult situation, that the government was uh, pressurizing them to withhold the correct information. Censorship of guidebooks, museum displays, school textbooks, radio programs, newspapers, and films was a daily occurrence. Once a member of the Museum Board of Trustees threatened me with losing my job if I said publicly that blacks had built Zimbabwe. He said it was okay to say that yellow people had built it, but I wasn't what? allowed to mention radiocarbon <laughs> dates. 
It was the first time what? since Germany in the 30s that archaeology had been so directly censored. What? What? Wait, he said, <laughs> oh my god, he said it was okay to say who the fuck built it? He said, wait, wait, he don't, said don't repeat yellow that, don't repeat people. that. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> so he's saying, like, you can say anyone built it, but not, you can't say... Yeah, what he's it. basically saying is that the Simpsons built it, all right? He's okay, trying to listen, say here's the Grandpa deal. Simpson. Here's the deal, here's the deal. Listen, time out, Jebediah. time out. Jebediah. He's four-fingered four okay. yellow people. Jebediah Springfield started it. That's it. You mean Hans Sprungfield? No, I mean Jebediah Springfield. You wasted the first talking point to say that Jedediah Springfield started it? That's right. All I'm saying is if they were trying to refer to everybody, they shouldn't use the, the, the yellow. They should probably use, like, purple. You know what I mean? It's okay if you say the purple well, people well, built meant, it, just not the blacks. He Asians. Like, he was, he was <laughs> Steve just goes yellow. right to it unironically. I know what he fucking meant. <laughs> Well, Ryan, the man's a racist. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. You can you, can, you yeah. can paraphrase other people's racism without it being racist. Oh, my God. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah, Especially from a historical context. You have to be able to so, do that. So That's just my incredulousness that somebody could be like, yeah, the, the yellow people. Like, what the you fuck? You know what, though? What? Your reaction is, is beautiful because that means that. We are. It's. It's. And if every time I hear someone react that way, I feel good because it means we're we're coming to a point where we find the past ridiculous, which is should always be the case. It's insane. If I feel like it is, insane. I feel like it is a hallmark of education for you to find the past ridiculous. Um. In general. So, uh, so this this sort of like this massive censorship that goes on in Rhodesia causes a lot of prominent archaeologists um, who um, who sort of study Great Zimbabwe to leave, including. Uh, uh, Peter uh, Garlick um, and Senior Monument Inspector, Inspector uh, Senior Inspector of Monuments for Rhodesia, um, and uh, Roger Summers of the National Museum to leave the country. Peter uh, Garlick and Roger Summertime. All right. Um, so uh, <laughs> the the black nationalist groups within Zimbabwe, uh, mainly the the ZANU PF, which is like the the political party of Robert Mugabe. Um, they see it as a as a important symbol of achievement for Africans, and they sort of hold it up as sort of Great Zimbabwe as them reclaiming their history, um, because they said, you know, that the white uh, white uh, colonizers wanted to suppress this for so long, but we're making it front and center. I am so all I, for I, it. I just want a one word response to this from both of you. One word. No, I don't want any sort of you know soundbites. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Go ahead. All right, ready. I believe, or I'm sorry, I don't know what to believe about Robert Mugabe. I believe he is a bad person. Am I incorrect? Or am I correct? Uh, I that Robert Mugabe was a bad I person. I believe that if you judge everything, that the fraction is overloaded bad. Didn't understand the assignment. One fucking word. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is, that's the equivalent in my brain of one word. Six, so six, when, six words. So when in 1980, uh, Zimbabwe becomes the, the state, it's formally recognized. Um, there's a brief period where it's uh, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, or Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. and it eventually becomes just Zimbabwe. Um, that they um, that they sort of um, they they began to internationally uh, recognize sort of the country and the site um, and the uh, the soapstone bird carvings um, that were from the Rhodesian flag were sort of co-opted for the coat of arms as well uh, for Zimbabwe. It is also depicted on the the Zimbabwean flag. If you look at the flag of Zimbabwe, um, the bird that is depicted on the flag is like those stone carving birds. 
Oh, okay. Um, so initially, because the Xanu PF, um, it, which is um, which is an acronym for the Zimbabwe African National Union Patriotic Front, um, which is which was That's run by Robert, which was run by Robert uh, Mugabe until his death. Oh, um, by the way, it, Steve, you didn't answer me. I believe Robert Mugabe was a bad dude. Am I correct? I said you are correct. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, fucker yeah, used sign. three One word. word. One Listen, word. I, said, <laughs> I would I said say before <laughs> the most disingenuous way to start an argument is to say yes or no. Because unless unless you're asking me about something I did, it's never a yes or no answer. I just no because he could say of, no. You're not correct. He could just say no. Like when I said, "Am I correct?" He could say no, and then that would lead to the open. Discussion. But it but it, it presupposes that he's about to make an argument for a good Robert Mugabe, which is very difficult to make. No, because I would also be open to the fact that Robert Mugabe may not be a bad person, but Stalin may, helped have defeat done Hitler. Good Stalin easily helped defeat Hitler. Is exactly. is Stalin a bad guy? Exactly. Is is Hitler a bad yes. person? If someone says no, yes. and I say, what the fuck? <laughs> yes. and they say, and they hey, wait, listen, they say no, and I say, please fucking explain yourself. And they say Hitler killed. Hey, Hitler. in a word, say, fair. Yes, fair. <laughs> Hitler well, killed Hitler. He's not a hundred percent bad. Well, I would say Robert Robert Mugabe was generally bad in that he was a he was a very authoritarian leader who okay. based a lot of his designs on the on his own country. Okay. from North Korea. Like, he studied under the North Koreans. He had a unit, a special unit within the military that was trained by the North Koreans that were used right. in death squads by him. Um, okay. The ZANU-PF, the dominant party, is predominantly a Shona political party, which goes in sort of the depiction of Great Zimbabwe. Because initially, um, Great Zimbabwe is used as a unifier for the country, and also sort of saying that it represents a pre-colonial form of African socialism. That in Africa, there were sort of these political theories in the 60s that Africans had their own sort of socialism within sort of a tribal society because it wasn't a society based on capitalist um, sort of structures. Down with capitalism, hurt. Um, but as time goes <laughs> on, and as the, the leaders of... Um, as the other leader of sort of the, uh, the revolution, um, as he... Um, sort of dies. Um, his name is uh, Joshua uh, Nukamo, and he is also um, he's a uh, Netabeli, um, which is the other major ethnic group. They only comprise twenty percent. Mm -hmm. um, they after he dies, uh, Mugabe sort of consolidates control um, into the nineties, which is you know when the economy starts to collapse and you have hyperinflation, um, and it begins to sort of shift. That, um, that it's sort of like a natural state of Zimbabwean society to be as highly stratified as it is with a ruling elite ruling over other people, sort of with this theory, you know, that um, that society within Great Zimbabwe was highly structured. Zimbabwe is the place you can get that the 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 uh, the bill. It's like a one million dollar bill or one billion dollar yes. like yeah. note. Even though it like realistically you can get it for like a dollar fifty, but it's it's worthless. Yeah, yeah they they use the U.S. dollar now. Oh, they do. Yeah, that's their official currency over there. Is the yeah, US dollar. There's, there's a number of countries that they use the U.S. dollar because their own their their own currencies became so hyperinflated. Or let me ask you, do you know anything about the? So, okay, Europe has the euro, right? I yes. know that there was a there was a, a move to have Africa unify under one currency, like the Afro. Do you know if that ever ever anything ever became of that? Or what no? It, right? Well, well, no, because because remember, our our boy was in charge of that. Who? You know, our our Libyan king of kings. Oh, was he? Yeah. Yeah. 
I totally forgot. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. Some terrible. Mumar, a good Mumar. Godafro. Mumar <laughs> Godafro. Mo Mumar money. Mumar problems. <laughs> Mumar Godafro. Mumar um, Godafro. Um, for instance, the um, if you look at the logo of the Zenu PF party, um, the the tower of Great Zimbabwe is is depicted on it, and it's also depicted within the coat of arms of Zimbabwe. Coat of arms. Why do they have a coat of arms? Every, Everybody every has a coat, has a coat of arms. Of arms. The fuck's <laughs> My family is a coat of arms. Yeah, Everybody but your family, your family is ultimately, if we go back far enough, I'm assuming European. Potatoes, right? Yeah, yeah, but they're all every, potatoes. Every every country in the world has a coat of arms. That just seems odd to me. I've, I always like, I associate like the, with coat of arms with European culture. Well, like the the circle with the eagle in it, with the with the shield on it, and the holding the olive branches and the arrows, like that's a coat of but arms. But isn't a coat of arms related to heraldry and knight and knights and all that kind of no. shit? No, 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 no. It's, you know what it's, it's related to? You know what it's related to? Family. I understand that, but I I have I, I have, I have <laughs> well, a I have a coat of arms that we use because the the royal last name that I have is associated with the coat of arms, but, and we've contacted them and asked them if we can use it and they said okay because it's 2021 and no one gives a shit about coat of arms anymore but but like cities have coat of arms kingdoms had coat of arms it's, it's just sort of a modern evolution of state okay it's a modern just evolution symbolic. of the flag or the flag it's like the it's just the flag. flag it's, just a, it's like an, it's, it's like an ex- elaborate flag basically well, it is an well, og what, flag it's the symbol of the country that they put on like passports and stuff like that and also like on a podium like like just things like that so because uh, the the leading party, uh, the Zenu PF, are, are incredibly corrupt. Um, they they live like very lavishly, um, and and recently, you know, things have things have changed. You know, there was sort of a popular uprising in Zimbabwe after the death of Robert Mugabe. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it sort of shows Which that makes people sense. Are tired of the excesses of the party. Um, so what I remember is Mugabe tried to like overthrow like somebody else that was going to go for office, and he tried to support his own wife or daughter for like VP. And everybody was like, uh, go fuck yourself. That's not happening. We're done yeah, with you. Yeah, his, his wife had, had made, his wife is much younger than him. His wife's like 30 to 40 He's like 90-something, and his wife was like well, 26. Well, like, he's, also, <laughs> he's also dead, but, um... You know, no, like, when it was happening, he was like 90-something, and his wife was like in her, what, 40s? 50s? Maybe. Jeez. Black yeah, don't his, crack, so it's hard to his, tell by picture. His, his wife, his, his last wife was born in 1965, so... It make her in her fifties, yeah. So, and Robert Mugabe. Man, that was some was fast math. In, and and Robert Mugabe was born in nineteen twenty four. Wow. So that's Sorry, a, 40, I said 50, a forty 60s. year difference. So, yeah, that's pretty heavy. That's um, high. I, but but she yeah. she had her own she had her own like personal unit within the army, um, and and there was a lot of stuff too. Like um, there was a lot of um, conflicts between the Zanu PF and the Zanu. Um, the Zanu um, were the other um, group um, that that they sort of like would fight with, and there was a lot of like sort of I don't want to say ethnic cleansings, but there was a lot of like death squad type stuff going on in the country. There wasn't a lot of ethnic cleansing, but uh, a lot of people of the same ethnicity were getting killed. Well, I I, I don't use ethnic cleansing because there's a lot of things like it, it's sort of a dog whistle thing from white supremacists to talk about a, like a white genocide in Zimbabwe and in South Africa. Mm. But in reality, what's happening is that there's just like a minority of people, and they're just over publicizing the deaths of like white farmers. Because, for instance, in 
um, South Africa, when it gets reported, it, it mostly has to do with the fact that South Africa has a high homicide rate, and it's just that white people as a minority, um, as they're, they're still within the bounds of that, but it just seems more striking considering they're a minority. Um, it also has to do with the fact that a lot of the robberies that occur within like rural areas of South Africa are on farms, and it's generally considered that anybody who owns a farm that they can be like robbed because it's considered to be that they're probably wealthy. Yeah, it's just so. So it's not, it's not that there there's a genocide. It's like people talking. It, it's, it's almost a, the equivalent of people saying like, "Why don't they talk about black on black crime?" Like like that type of right. thing. Like, um, and and with uh, with Rhodesia or Zimbabwe slash Rhodesia, what happened was that in the nineties, um, which sort of caused their hyperinflation period, was that um, they were having a hard time working with Great Britain. They were trying to squeeze more aid out of Great Britain. Because being a former colony of Great Britain, that's usually who you go to for aid. Um, and because Great Britain wasn't playing ball, this was during uh, Tony Blair, uh, they, they essentially told the British, like, well, if we can't get aid from you, we're, we're going to have to, you know, expropriate some farms from some white people or whatever in order to, like, we're going to do some land reform to, you know, to make things work as a bluff. But we're going to fix it so that we, we, we can get what we need. Well, 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 essentially what they were saying is like, well, the only way we can make this work is we're going to have to kick these white farmers off their land and, you know, take the land. And then um, they were expecting Great Britain to say like, well, no, you can't do that. We're going to give you the aid. But Great Britain essentially blinked and they said, well, you know, whatever. You can <laughs> do, do, do whatever you want. And then so that's that's why. No, 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 wait, wait. That means that Great Britain did not blink. If they blinked, they would say, all right, all right, take this, take, take this. Well, they no. didn't blink, and they got fucked for it, right? Why? I, well, I was I was going more with the analogy of like pissing in the eye of God, and God blinked. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> so I was thinking the stare down. Like, well, you know, blink, Steve, when you use such fucked. a harsh analogy, you should probably state the whole fucking thing. <laughs> uh, pissing in the eye of God, love it. That's what I'm naming the episode: Zimbabwe pissing in the eye of God. <laughs> pissing in the eye of God. My favorite analogy is to smile at God and walk backwards into hell. I love it. But, anyways, that, that's what <laughs> happened there. And then, essentially what happened was the agricultural sector um, declined because a lot of the people that they gave the farms to didn't know how to run the farm. So this is a similar theme to um, another episode we did, right? Isn't it? There was another thing we t- it sounds we talked about this where like they uh, Lysenkoism? Yes, yeah, that's yes. Trofim La- Trofim Lysenopril. <laughs> this Trofim Lysenko. It's the same thing. <laughs> Jesus. I think it was Tobelrone Lysenko. Yeah, I think that was his name. That's how you pronounce it in English, but in Russian it's Trofim Lysenko. Trofim Lysenko. <laughs> And with that, that is the story of Great Zimbabwe and its later political uses by two different governments. I like it. I like Fantastic. it. I'm not, not going to lie. We need to do more episodes on, like, Africa and, like, African history because it's very interesting yeah. because it's something that you don't learn in high school. In high school, it's a lot of, like, hey, Africa's, like, underdeveloped. It's a bunch of tribes. It's funny because – But check out Europe. We learn Exactly. We learned it in high school in New Jersey. Uh, but it was in not in history classes; it was in social studies. Yeah, we learned in Massachusetts in uh, Earth Space Science is what it, the class was called, and it was always like ancient Mesopotamia. I think there's I think like there's a reason for that. Egypt, 
but it was never like, hey, there's the history of South Africa and Rhodesia and Zimbabwe and these amazing cities and cultures that were here. Like, I want to say my high school, too, was like maybe 30, 40% black. So why would we not be focusing on that? You know, I guess this is state education curriculum, but at the same time. And also, when you can fit every landmass on the planet inside of this continent, I feel like this is probably an important place to study. Well, you also get to the fact that that's, like, what most, Mm -hmm. like, racist white people and, like, racist adjacent white people, like, that's what they think CRT is. Like, Like, they're teaching our kids about Africa. They're teaching our kids okay. about Muslims, like that. Like that's what they think. I'm CRT sorry that is. you have not been introduced to Africa and how cool this shit is. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like their history yeah. is great. Well, they've already prejudged. I mean, it's it's just prejudice. They've pre. How many yeah. times can we, and, and I hate to say this, but how many times can we re, can we relitigate World War II in in history podcasts and history? Have you been on Quora.com? Shit like that. You feel? Have you been on Quora? Do something about Africa. Have you been on Quora.com before? I have. It's, it's gross. no. It's actually great. There's tons of like legitimate PhD level historians and stuff on there that are. I guess all the results I get from Quora are like really like insane fucking. Yeah, things. you might be like, oh, you Quora might be looking up next. the wrong people, but like I've definitely <laughs> there's definitely a lot of good solid academic answers on there, scholarly answers I'll say, and uh, but there's also the opposite, like you're talking about. Like it's it's crazy. We're we're never gonna get anywhere. There's just such a huge percentage of the population that's fucking uninformed and just completely ridiculous, you know. Well, it's it's also it's also sort of like um, held up by that sort of like racist, sort of like Eurocentric sort of like thinking. Like we talked about with the Europeans are saying like you know like oh it's actually these people from the Bible like these these primitive peoples couldn't build these these areas right. you know even though like africans built the pyramids though they weren't black africans but they still built the pyramids regardless you know like like they just make sure to lump the people who build like the giant stone structures into white people as as opposed to being somewhere between you know white and black mm-hmm. the craziest thing is like if you actually start to learn about middle eastern and african history you realize that like a lot of the things that you learned have their basis in middle eastern history Things yep. like math, Medis- like medicine, math, like algebra, very simple. Middle medicine. East. You work in you oh, work medicine. in medicine. Medicine. Med- medicine. Well, of, the fucking well, modern East. medicine well, started that, in the Middle East. A lot of that comes from the Romans. It's it's not that it comes from the Middle East. It's that the Middle Eastern, like sort of the, during the Islamic Golden Age, they kept all of the Greek and Roman books as opposed to uh, destroying them or discarding them, and, and they preserved the knowledge, and then it was brought back to the West. But again, who is representing that knowledge? They're they're the expanding on it. Yes, they're expanding on it. But but it's but it's not to say that they made it whole cloth. No, right? no, 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 no. Of course yeah. not. That is more of like a, a global effort to make it whole. Well, cloth. nothing like, can be attributed entirely to one nationality, except from well, except like, for Mofungo, which is Puerto Rican. Yeah. I mean, you talking about. Like, <laughs> 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 Puerto Rico. You talking about? Listen, to quote Dave Chappelle, you're talking about the cradle of motherfucking civilization. Yeah. And I, for one, feel like I was shortchanged in my high school history. Um, be it you know, earth space science in middle school or global history yeah. in high school. Like I didn't learn enough about this, and this is really interesting. You were. Everyone was to a certain extent. Yeah. And the 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 idea is that if. Hopefully, someone like like Steve, like our like our buddy Steve, Steve. gets very into that stuff. 
so that they continue pushing that throughout their lives. And then, you know, we can make a podcast about it and hopefully get a couple people more interested in it and kind of move it along. So anyway, our Patreon is at www. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, tune in because we're going to do an episode on the Congo starring Michael Crichton's book and <laughs> where they find diamonds and create ray guns we're, to shoot talking gorillas. Where it's still in the works, but we're try we're going to try to get Amy. Oh my god. <laughs> she Amy Amy doesn't like the bad. <laughs> All right, with that. And on that note, good night. Good night. <laughs> Amy, goodbye. <laughs>